This is the joy of gaming. Welcome to the Joy of Gaming Podcast, episode 66. I'm Rich Lapore. Jordan Alseka. And today we are going to be talking about some big games we've been anticipating for a long time. Uh, the first of which is a gigantic one uh, for a lot of people. Maybe not for you, though, Jordan. Destiny 2. No. <laughs> <laughs> the what a buzzkill right at the beginning. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but anyway, it's a certain type of game. And if you're into it, man, are you into it. And if you're not into it, well, then your name is Jordan. I'm, um, yeah. Uh, but on the other on the other uh, side, we have Samus Returns, uh, Metroid Samus Returns, which we've both been anticipating for a really long time. Very into um, that. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I, I understand that you are. So I'm really excited um, to see how that goes. Um, that conversation about that game, uh, Metroidvanias are a big favorite of both of ours. Um, so we'll have to uh, we'll have to see how we feel about the this new entry in the Metroid series. But it is a long time coming. A little bit. Uh, <laughs> Zero Mission was what, 2005? That was the last time there was a 2D Metroid game? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I argue that Other M was actually very much more similar to this game than people seem to be saying, um, which is the last 3D Metroid technically. It was actually made in conjunction with Team Ninja of Ninja Gaiden fame. Um, so that game is actually pretty interesting, not from a story perspective, don't get me wrong, um, the story on that game is real bad and real sexist and real shitty when it comes to Samus, however, the gameplay was pretty fun and it had a really good, uh, uh, what, do, what are we calling it, the uh, reaction system, the counter system? Counter, counter system, counter attack, yeah. Yeah, That's, uh, so it... There is, there's a whole episode of uh, you discussing Ether M, we need to get those classic episodes out there at some point. That would be good, Joy of Gaming Classic, that would totally work. Um, okay, well, uh, on that note, we also have a couple other games to talk about, and because of that, we are going to be solely talking about the games we've been playing this week. It's been about a month since we had our last episode, um, so I think it's a good idea that we just focus in on games. Before that, though, we do have a couple news stories, so uh, what we've been doing lately is each picking a couple stories that we are interested in um, and bringing those to the forefront, because if we talked about all of gaming news in this day and age, we could talk about it for five hours. So. Yeah. Maybe not this month now, I will say, because this month has been light. It hasn't been the most exciting time. Um, now, TGS just happened, but even TGS, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I even feel like uh, the Europe the Europe uh, convention, uh, Gamescom, I even feel like that breed, like pours forth new, more news than, uh, than TGS seems to. And I love RPGs, and I love Japanese games, but I don't know. I feel like it's been a pretty dry spigot this year. It has, though you did just remind me of another story, so I added that to my list. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, hey, um, is it fresh in your mind? You want to start with that one? Sure. So... <laughs> Coming out of TGS, oh yeah, uh, Earth Defense Force Iron Rain was announced with an English trailer. Okay, uh, and what this is is the second currently in development Earth Defense Force game outside of Earth Defense Force Five. So there are now two Earth Defense Force games scheduled for roughly the next year to be released. Okay, so how do they differ? Uh, well, gameplay-wise, it's hard to say. There isn't much for the Iron Rain trailer, but basically, Iron Rain is not made by the main company. It's made by a different Japanese development team. 
uh, and the goal is to kind of be a bit more of a serious take on the subject matter. So if anything, it looks like this is the Insect Armageddon sequel. It's from a different developer, it's more serious in tone, whereas Earth Defense Force 5 is, of course, the continuation of the main series. And the super goofy, super slapstick, uh, tons and tons of missions that are all kind of repetitive, mm-hmm. um, but but at the same time provide a lot of gameplay value and are really fun, apparently. Yes. So I've heard. Extremely fun. Uh, and given that... I mean, honestly, I'm excited for both of these. They haven't officially announced EDF5 for America yet. It seems inevitable, even if just as like a straight port version. But uh, this one having an English trailer pretty much seems to confirm that it's going to be a... Uh, English game as well. Uh, although, again, Jap- Japan's going to get it first as well. Um, right. But frankly, with how little uh, co-op content is even still on the horizon, it's nice to see a, an online co-op game uh, coming, especially in one of my favorite gaming series. Right, right. I think, um, what, uh, it, it, that one and another game, like, take the top slot for your favorite game of all time, isn't that right? Don't they, like... Yeah, it's um, EDF 2025 in pure gameplay... And Persona 4 in terms of story and... Wow, those couldn't be more different. Not really. I well, mean, they're both Japanese. Yeah, they're both cheaply Japanese. Yeah, so that's 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 uh, that's something there. Um, anyway, so you're obviously really excited, double excited now, that you're going to have a lot more EDF in the, uh, in the near future. Yes. Cool. Very, very cool. Well, you know, I have a little announcement that I'll make later, but um, when I... Uh, was was looking at games for this announcement. Um, I saw that there was some EDF uh, games there that um, I don't know. That be, being being that you're not anyway. I'm, I'll just leave it till then because this okay. is getting like ridiculous and esoteric. Um, okay, so let's see what we have next on the news list. I will do one. Okay, um, so speaking of Japan and a place that often makes odd decisions, um, Nintendo. Is, has now announced that the NES Classic, which they controversially discontinued at, uh, at the end of last year and also didn't provide nearly enough stock of, um, is coming back next year. So in 2018, they are bringing back the NES Classic for another run, um, which, which definitely makes sense as a move. I mean, about a third of the people that wanted it, if not less, actually got one of those. Yeah. Um, and then the SNES Classic, which is you know coming out on the 29th of this month, um, coming out is a relative term because really all they're doing is fulfilling pre-orders to, to bots <laughs> that ordered it on the uh, when the online orders came up at 4 a.m. in the morning, mm-hmm. um, and, and they use their little bot machines to. I, I, do I sound a little bitter? Yes, I'm a little bitter because I want one, and I'm probably not going to get one. Um, but the SNES Classic comes out the 29th. The pre-orders were insane. You cannot get one anywhere. Um, and so because of that demand and, and because of all kinds of things, because Nintendo, right? Sure. Um, they're now bringing back the NES Classic next year. And then I guess that possibly means the SNES Classic won't get discontinued as soon, or maybe they'll just do this flip-flopping years thing. I don't know. What do you think? Um, I don't know. It, it's the sort of thing where it, it's hard to say if they knew what they were doing or if they did it on purpose. Nintendo's enigmatic in how they operate. (laughs) Right. Right, they um, really are. I'm sure they'll bring it back like on and off if it is popular enough. They know they can get the demand, and it's not something people are going to wait on and let sit on the shelf if they don't have that many, or if it's only available at certain times. So, right. Well, the point is that 
first of all, I mean, you can play Earthbound in other places, but I've never fully played Earthbound, which is a huge um, blind spot in my gaming understanding and knowledge and, and just the fun of Earthbound, you know? Um, and so I really want to play Earthbound, and I really want to play it on the SNES Classic, not to mention there's Star Fox 2, um, which was never really announced. They, they decided to scrap it, like, when it was 98% done with production, and then instead uh, focus on 64 because they wanted to go polygonal. Um or whatever you call it. They wanted to go 3D. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I really want to play it, but I've also heard that it's real rough. You know, like if you were to go back and play Star Fox from the SNES era, um, that's a rough-ass game. So it's interesting. I, I definitely want to have it, like, in the collection. I definitely want to have experienced it, um, but I don't know how fun it's going to be to play. Nonetheless, I want the thing. Do you want the thing? No, I've never been a big Star Fox fan. So, I mean, Star Fox 2 would be the theoretical big draw, but, I mean, outside of Dinosaur Planet, or Star Fox Adventures, and I played a little of Assault, I played Command, I actually like that one alright, uh, but other than that, it's just never been a series that's grabbed me. Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. you know, you most SNES games you can play elsewhere in some form, or at least the it's big true. ones. It's true. And actually, that reminds me, Speak on uh, a related note, Nintendo recently had a Direct and some other ways they announced stuff where they talk about doing these arcade classics on the Switch. Um, I kind of don't really have a handle on what exactly it is and what exactly it means. Um, they've been very vague, um, to, vague to non-existent with their news about what the virtual console is going to look like um, in terms of the Switch. Um, but this arcade classics thing seems to be the first volley of information in that direction. Um, I don't know what I think about it. I certainly know that I don't want to play Donkey Kong, you know. Um, but and if and if I did, I could find plenty of places to freaking play it. But anyway, um, next story you got, man. Uh, next for me, I've got. Uh, so this is another big one. Uh, really hitting on my top games of all time, since this is probably three or four. Uh, but the Good Life, which is the new game from uh, Swery, maker mm-hmm. of Deadly Premonition and D Four. And Deadly Premonition Director's Cut. <laughs> and Spy Fiction. Uh, right, um, right, which you actually have on PS2. Uh, the You hunted that motherfucker down. The uh, His new game, The Good Life, is currently being uh, seeking funding on Fig, which is a... Isn't it about cats? It is a debt collection life simulation RPG, is how it is described on their page. It is about a reporter who is in a massive amount of debt, and she goes to this mysterious small town called Rainy Woods uh, to try and discover a big story. She ends up getting involved in a murder mystery. And yes, please. At the, ev- the big thing is every night, all of the people that live in the town, including her, turn into cats. <laughs> that's, that's... I mean, I could see that. That's not so whack. Um, I, I mean, I could see the concept of how cool that would be. So the idea being potentially, and I've seen a little bit of the, the uh, information about it, and the idea being that you can do things as a cat that you can't do as a person. So it would be interesting to, like, explore during the day, interview people, investigate the crime that way, and then at night, like, you could sneak into people's places, you could find little, like, clues and items. Um, it could have some really cool, uh, you know, platforming mechanics potentially. Uh, I don't know. What, what, what is the gameplay like? Uh, I mean, it doesn't, it looks a little closer to just 
life simulation type stuff of living the day, talking to people. It's the, it's the sort of stuff Deadly Premonition got the most right. I mean, one of the best things about that game is that it really went out of the way to make sure that every person had their own schedule for each week and people could be mm-hmm. found at different places. I mean, right. put a lot of work into it. Was a, it was a... It was a robust small town where he knew where everybody was going to be at every part of the day, and side quests would activate depending on where who was. Uh, it was why it what is what eh, it was much, what made the game so much fun. Outside of just the central mystery, was that it made you play detective and honestly had a lot of good side missions. Um, again, yeah, it really did. Janky it really did. to actually play. Yeah, well, he he put his attention elsewhere. Uh, it was not in the gunplay, that's for sure. Yeah, so this almost seems like it'll probably have more simplified gameplay to tell the story and to just let you enjoy it, and I think that's the right move. This definitely seems like him taking everything he's learned and the things he knows his fans love and trying to make a game specifically for that audience. That guy, uh, Swery, is very interesting on Twitter. Do you ever see his tweets? A few of them, yeah. He just does the weirdest shit. Like, he puts, like, a hat on, and he's like, hey, I decided I'm going to start wearing hats and sit at coffee shops. Hee-hee, and shit like that. Just, like, weird shit. Or, like, don't you guys like cats? I do, and there's, like, a picture of a cat. I mean, just weird stuff. Um, and, and it always has that little tilt to it, you know, that just that little tilted look at the world, just slightly off-kilter, which is what we love about him, so. Yeah. Uh, Fig is interesting. It is a Kickstarter, you know, it's a crowdfunding site. Right. Its thing is you can forego the traditional reward structure and you can just donate for shares of it so that you will get re- you will like if the game is successful you'll get paid based on your shares like stock. So the idea being that uh, I think it was a couple years back a certain um developer actually founded this isn't that right some game developer? I believe so, um, yeah. And and when that happened the idea was that you know in order to actually invest in a company you, there's a lot of legal red tape involved. You have to have like you have to have at least fifty thousand dollars, or there's some like like minimum that investment level and different things like that. And so this is just a way to like combine people together, and they could invest as a group, and then meet those legal requirements in a group setting, um, which is really interesting. Um, and there's been about maybe six, seven, eight games that have been funded that way. I think it's not huge. It's not no. like Kickstarter where where there's you know hundreds of thousands of projects over the years. There's like ten. The big one know? though is of course psychonauts 2 is one of its things. okay so yeah it, it actually it may have been um double fine that founded it in the first place I, I think i actually vaguely remember that so that's possible i cannot wait for psychonauts 2 speaking of that no yeah so uh right now the game has 19 days left it's at 16 percent of its goal it's not looking super great but again with this model maybe it's built for those big uh Donations, maybe it's looking for pub, you know backers right now and, and trying to get the momentum. But I mean, it's got two hundred fifty thousand at the moment of its one point five million asking. So potentially, wait, 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 wait. did you say sixteen? Hmm. Percent. Sixteen percent. Yeah. Well, it's oh, a, I thought you said sixty. No, no, Shit. Sixteen. No. Well, it's asking for one point five million. It's at two hundred fifty-two thousand. It's the sort of thing where maybe if it doesn't fund, ideally they will you know reassess, see what's possible. Uh, I really like the look of it overall. I mean, it's it's right now they say it's basic graphics. It's not fully there yet, but I kind of like the look of it with kind of these. They're more polygonal, but I don't know. It kind of works the way they are right now for me. It's like almost like a cardboard built city. Um, but yeah, well, the the problem with Swery is that 
Um, he's kind of all arm, no follow through, or at least it felt that way. Like D4 was a real, I don't know. You almost got the sense when D4 came out that it's like, I can't even believe it came out. And it, we were all, we all kind of knew to expect not really a, a second one. Cause wasn't that episode one of at least three or something like that? Yeah. And, and he just, he's one of those guys, he's very eccentric. Um, and, and that's what makes him great, but I don't know. And, and I know as an eccentric person myself, not to his level, but definitely, um, you know, uh, emotional, um, that, you know, it, it follow throughs, follow throughs a challenge for all humans. And, um, you know, he, I don't know. I just, I just, well, I worry, I think it's unfair I'd, I'd worry about it, investing I, in him. I think but, it's unfair to put it on him when he was working for a developer and if the game didn't perform and they didn't want to put money into making more episodes, I don't think that's his fault. Is that, is that what happened there? I, I really thought that he kind of fell off the radar for a year and a half for psychological problems, which of course I don't fault him for. Of course, take your time. But at the same time, you know, it's money. You know, if you're talking about a $1.5 million investment, sometimes you have to be, like, more fundamental than understanding. I don't know. I'm just throwing some ideas out. No, I mean, it is... Uh, I, I don't know what the specifics are. I know he left Access Games, and, you know, that game's dead. But I don't think he wanted it not to finish. Mm-hmm. No, no, I, I think you're right. I think you're right. I just know that he had some, uh, some, uh, you know, off, off, uh, off radar issues um, that that were going on there. So. Sure, but on the other end of the spectrum, you know, he made Deadly Premonition that came out, and he then sure he went did. back and remade it to make it better for the PS3 release. So he sure did. That is a really good point. Um, and you know, I was actually thinking during this conversation, perhaps that it would be interesting to play that again because I remember like there were lots of twists and turns and weirdness near the end. You know, when you find out like who the killer or killers are. But I also don't remember the identities, really. So I think I could go back and play it and really enjoy it. Do you remember, like, specifically what happens? Uh, in Deadly Premonition? Yeah. Not to the most minute of details, but I remember a lot of the big plot points. Okay, so I don't. So that may be that may serve me well. Um, it's kind of like when I go back and watch Midsummer Murders for like the third time, and because there's like 150 episodes of this British crime drama I love, like, and all of them are kind of like, oh, there's a killer, you know, and uh, it's this person for this reason, but it easily could have been these eight other people just as easily, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So for that reason, I don't always. I mean, they all blend together, and I don't remember who's who, so I can go back and watch it and be just as surprised when I find out who the, the killer is. So. Um, I think Deadly Premonition, now that it's been a certain amount of time, falls into that category for me. So, my next story. Um, this is another Nintendo story uh, about, it's a little one, uh, Super Mario and Rabbids Kingdom Battle. Um, it, when you get a Switch, is this on your radar? Yeah, definitely. Um, so this is the, uh, and everybody wants to say, this is the XCOM of Super Mario games. And it was also a very interesting thing because the developer of the game, or, or the, the creative director of this title, um, is, uh, you know, at Ubisoft. And he became, he, he got into the public spotlight uh, at E3 when the game was announced and Miyamoto came on stage and he was seen crying in the audience. Um, and I actually heard some follow-up on, on that story. Um, IGN did a really interesting interview with him, um, with Brian Altano and him. And um, what it was was, do you remember that leak that happened? Um, when when everybody heard about Kingdom Battle and like they saw that Mario had a gun and they freaked out? Vaguely. Yeah, so there was a leak. 
Um, and, and there was like, there was even some like misspelled internal documents that came out where they were talking about the different game worlds in the game and like they were spelled wrong and it was like typos and it was just bad. Um, and so what he said, the developer said is, you know, obviously Miyamoto has been a hero of his forever. When he first came to the office to talk about the game, he told him things like, um, you know, I make jumping Mario games. You need to make a Mario game where he doesn't jump and where he does something different. And they had this really good relationship and, and, and you know, professional business relationship where they figured out kind of, you know, what, where, what niche this would fill. And it was just a great experience for him. And his team had a lot to prove, and he really wanted to make Miyamoto proud. And then when that leak happened, the morale he set on his team just fell through the floor. Um, and, and everybody was feeling really down and the buzz about it was really poor and everybody was, you know, saying, oh my God, Mario has a gun and oh my God, the rabbits suck. I hate rabbits. Why are they even doing this? Um, and then when this happened on stage and everyone gave a standing ovation and it was just this great moment, it just swelled up in him. Finally, he said his team was getting the recognition they deserve and it was the morale that boost that they needed to, you know, push through the end of the development of the game. So I just thought that was really interesting and cool. Um, and in light of all of that, it's great to hear that the news is that this is the best-selling third-party Switch game yet. Now, that's not a huge surprise because no. the biggest the biggest Switch games so far have all been first-party. Uh, Splatoon, ARMS, and Zelda, um, and Mario Kart are really the Switch games that have been released that have done well. They're all first-party. So this is kind of – it's technically third-party. It's, it's made by Ubisoft, <clears throat> but it had a lot of involvement from Nintendo. Anyway, the game did incredibly well. Um, and uh, I understand the attach rate um, is, is, is higher than they expected it to be. So I was really happy to hear that. No, that's good overall. Um, yeah, that's a, Buzz is the, good. That, that's one of those Switch games I would like to try out. I just need to get a Switch to do it. Right, right. Um, okay, <clears throat> um, so here's one that I know you're going to have some thoughts on, and I definitely do. Um, they just released maybe two days ago the Tomb Raider trailer. And this is the reboot. Um, and it has a, a brand new Lara Croft, obviously. Uh, Alicia Vikander, who played um, the robot, the main robot in Ex Machina. Um, she actually has a background. Isn't that her, right? Yes. She has a background as a ballet dancer or some sort of um, um, very highly trained for many, many years dancer. Um, she's very lithe and um, acrobatic. And so, you know, definitely seems like a good fit for Laura. Um, from those perspectives. But anyway, the trailer came out, and I was struck by the <laughs> fact that it is the first Tomb Raider reboot. Oh, oh, you mean the the game? Yes. Yes, yes. okay, yeah. I don't know it why is that's the surprising. T- I, I, I guess I just didn't know that that was going to be the case. I mean, it is that game. The The story beats of the first, the, the early story beats of the first Tomb Raider game are there, there's Lara. Her dad is kind of in disgrace and he's died. Um, people are like, he was kind of looking up something that was ridiculous that's not real. She's like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to look in his, his diaries and prove to the world that it was real. This, this, this under this kingdom of whatever that she had, dis- he had discovered. So she goes on this trip. It's into these deadly waters. Um, the boat captain's like, no, we, we, we shouldn't do this. It's, you know, we're going to die. And she's like, she's like, no, it'll be exciting. He's like, no, death is not exciting. It's stupid. And she's like, we're going. So they go, um, the boat capsizes. They end up on an Island full of bloodthirsty mercenaries, <laughs> Walton Goggins, of um, the Hateful Eight and um, Justified, um, the bad guy in Justified fame um, plays kind of like the main lead bad guy on the island. And then it is the story of Tomb Raider um, from, what is it, 2013's Tomb Raider? Uh, I believe 2013? That sounds right. 
sometime around there. Um, but the the Tomb Raider reboot, um, the yeah. first one to come out um, from uh, Crystal. Well, not well. Anyway, the new Tomb Raider game uh, from Eidos. Um, so you know, I just was surprised. I was surprised at how note for note it was in a good way. This could be like the second um, video game property to actually be to turn out well. Um, the first being Castlevania. It was like the first uh, rotten. <laughs> Oh, Rotten oh, Tomatoes certified I, I you were fresh. Say movies. It would be the first good movie. Yeah, uh, it would be. It would be. Yeah. No. Well, anyway, I mean, I think you know, games have had good TV shows before. It's just Castlevania's the most serious one. Mm. But yeah, as it's far just as... the first one certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. That that was a story I saw somewhere. So it said uh, Castlevania is the first video game uh, adaptation of all time to achieve a certain something. Clickbait right here to find out what. And it you was clicked. the first certified fresh. <laughs> Of course I clicked. clicked. <laughs> it's clickbait, and I was baited. Yeah, fair enough. No, uh, to me, yeah, no, I kind of, I knew that was what they were going for. I mean, the <laughs> earliest photos from it showed her in that beat-up state, wearing the same outfit, that that freaking climbing tool that she has. It was like, yes. It's very clearly they're doing the 2013 uh, game. But again, that's the one people like, and they love it for modernizing the character and making her more human, and... I'm all down for it. I, I really want this to be a good movie. I think uh, I've been burned before, so I'm not getting my hopes up. Yeah. But I want it to be. Um, well, I, I will say this. Um, aside from the fact that she's perfect acrobatically and she actually looks really good in the role, it definitely is a divergence for the look of Lara. Um, she doesn't look the same. Um, and when I looked at it, I was having a little trouble. Now, I'm sure I'll be fine 10 minutes into the movie. I'll just be like, all right, I'm looking at Lara Croft. This is the new iteration. But she just has a much more um, um, uh, mousier face or, or, or smaller face, and she doesn't have, like, the distinct, like, jaw bones. And I, I'm not good at describing faces, but for some reason she just looks very different as Lara. Um, it's going to take some getting used to, but not in a bad way. Um, um, I think it, Yeah, go ahead. No, I don't know. To me, I think she looks perfect. I thought she's, okay. like – right out of the game i mean i if anything she doesn't look like the old school laura croft but neither does the reboot laura so i was like well, I'm, I'm looking at a picture here i don't know maybe um, I, I mean i see what you're saying but i mean i don't know she's just a little bit a little bit less muscular a little bit skinnier a little more lithe i don't know it just it'll take me a little while maybe not you but for me it'll take a moment and then i'm sure i'll love her um the only problem i really had with the trailer is that it definitely um well, a couple things. One, you know, I don't expect it to be transformative or, or a necessarily even great film. I, if it's just a fun action movie, but right. that is a smart one, then I think You mean that'll... like Assassin's Creed? No. <laughs> uh, that was the worst film of last year for me. Right, right. Um, Check the article on our site. Or our episode. Right. Uh, on, on best films of 2016. That's what year it was. Uh, right. To me, the, the biggest thing is... I didn't love that it showed what was clearly a scene from the end of the movie at the very end of the trailer. I, I always hate when films do that. I do, too. It's um, like, I, like I always say, they care ten times more about us going to the movie than us enjoying the movie. It's not even that great a scene. It's almost incongruous with the whole rest of the trailer, since it's like her as a badass now buying guns. And she has like the... If anything, it's like they're evoking by the end of that movie that she's turning into the Angelina Jolie Lara Croft. Because that's kind of what she looks like with the... The, like the hair do and the the glasses and the two guns right right so it seems um, like a bit weird to do that part when it's like so clearly from the end of the movie i know that's not something everyone notices but it's certainly something that jumped out right 
Right. Well, I also was looking at another clickbait article about um, the new Kingsman. And obviously, uh, and it, what it said was that the, the, the director of that movie actually begged for certain plot um, elements to not be revealed by marketing. And of course, they did reveal them. Um, so Colin Firth's being in it, that's his name, right? Yeah. Um, anyway, him being in it, for example, I think they didn't want to be revealed, but unfortunately it is there in a big way in the trailer. So And the, everything. <laughs> yeah, pretty much every, the whole movie is there. I mean, I, I hate that. Uh, I, on one hand, I mean, these are two and a half minute trailers, so, I mean, you got to show a bunch of shit. I get it. Um, that's the format, but yeah. man, do they show too much. Like, I'd rather see, like, a short scene for a minute and a half and then, like, some little blips. Like an early scene, you know? I mean, I I don't know. I just feel like there's got to be a better way to handle it than to reveal the entire fucking movie and not let me enjoy the thing when it comes out. Um, so It's tricky. I don't love trailers. I mean, I watch them all, but I try to not if it's a movie. I mean, outside of the Marvel movies, I try to stay away from trailers. I'm not always the best at it, but... Yeah, yeah. Well, it's 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 one of those things. Um, um, oh, but anyway, exciting. It looks good. It yeah. definitely looks like they're, they're taking things in the right direction. That was a fantastic game. If you have not played Tomb Raider, there's a definitive edition of it now. I would play the shit out of that game. If I could go back, erase my memories, and play it again, I would do it right now. It's really good. So play it. And then see the movie. And then kind of already know the story. All right. Play Rise um, next time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. There you go. Right, uh, right, right, right. Exactly, exactly. Um, you're up. All right, uh, my last story is, uh, so Fortnite is a game that came out. <laughs> and it did, that's technically. A, it feels like about all you can say about it. Uh, which it's is a, technically still early access, though, isn't it? Uh, I don't know a lot about it. I think it is for sale. Uh, it might be early it access. Is. It's fifty nine ninety nine, but it's called the Founders Edition, and it just gives you a bunch of shit. But it's still like sure, not so technically it's the, a release. You know, it's, it's the excuse to buy a beta version, more or less. Right. Um, now, I don't think that the response has been super negative, but it hasn't been super no. great. It's not a game that's dominated the conversation at all. Nope. Um, I've heard reviews about it, and generally what people say is it was more fun about a year and a half earlier, and then they just it got put into like too much development to the point where they added so much complexity that there's 15 different currencies for buying shit. There's like 20 different screens you have to go through, like in and in and in and in to get anything done, that it's just a game that got overcomplicated on top of itself. Which is unfortunate. So that's what I've heard. Yeah, um, it is. However, the... the- Another very popular game that is not not having that problem is uh, Player Unknown's Battleground, which no, has it is not blown up. As... Ten million million downloads at thirty dollars each on Steam, uh, and it's... all it is is one game mode on one map. Well, no, that's not true. There's a, there's a few different things to it now. Um, the, the second map has now come out. Uh, I don't know if there's a second map yet, but I do know that they have. Uh, they, there's at least a zombies mode. I don't know if that's player made or not, but there's oh, wow. there's at least robust enough systems to. Um, uh, it it might just be that people are playing it a certain way. I don't think that's the case. I think it, it, okay. it, it's. I don't know a lot. I just watch a yeah. YouTube show that is about like Polygon's team playing it every week. Uh huh. Um. But what is interesting about that is that it is basically the Battle Royale mode is the big thing where there's 100 players. They're dropped on this massive map that slowly gets smaller and smaller, and they're just – you're, you're to go free, and the goal is to be the last man standing as the map shrinks more and more, and there's stuff to pick up all over the map. There's vehicles. And you fly, you fly in over with a plane, and you choose where you want to drop out onto the map initially. 
yeah, now, it's a game that I have found fascinating. I definitely want to play it when it comes to consoles. Um, right, which is going to be later this year, or actually, I think, early next yeah, now I think it's for early, Xbox. Yeah, 2018. But, so, Fortnite is just a game that probably wouldn't have had much much attention if not for the fact that they announced a Battle Royale mode that is essentially the same thing as PUBG. Um, with the addition, to be fair, with the addition of uh, their building elements. So there's a lot more base building aspects. Not a lot more. There are base building aspects. Whereas in PUBG, it's literally you just run around, find a house, find a tree, find items strewn around, gear up, and kill people. Yeah, now, um, and alternatively, Fortnite doesn't have things like, like vehicles and whatnot in it. So, I mean, there are, there are differences between both. But it is one of those things where it is so clear that they just straight up were like, oh, PUBG is super popular. We have the means to make that mode, so let's just do it. Right. And and is it blatant copying? Sure. Uh, but that's kind of what video games are built on. What's interesting to me is how F- PUBG has made this whole big thing out of it where they're like, and Fortnite's is free. So if anything, they're going, here's this version of our game that is free. How awful of them. And bringing it way more publicity than it probably otherwise would have gotten. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Fortnite is driven on microtransactions, but a lot of games that are driven on and, – and, and PUBG has microtransactions too. They're all aesthetic though, generally. I mean, there's a couple things that, that, that affect gameplay in some games, but generally microtransactions are uh, only uh, cosmetic, as they say. Um, and so here's the thing. Here's what makes it controversial. PUBG is based on a game mode that was originally in Arma 2 and 3 and then H1Z1 uh, made by this guy named Brendan Green. Um, who, whose name is Player Unknown. It's like his online name. Um, and a developer saw that these mods he was making, these game modes he was making for these games, H1Z1 most pop was the most popular of them, were blowing the fuck up. And they were like, what if we gave this dude resources and let him guide our development team and make a Battle Royale mode of our own and like actually release it as a game? And they did, and it's lightning in a bottle, um, but it's a lightning storm in a bottle because that shit is not ending. Like It is just growing and growing. And, and as you said, the grassroots love of that game is just you know taking it to new heights every day so obviously as you said polygon's got their show um there's there's shows on every you know i mean youtube has, has grasped it uh, it owns twitch so it's a humongous gigantic thing um and yet it is in you know at the end of the day it, it wouldn't exist if it weren't for arma 2 and 3 and h1z1 and so it itself is a copy or an iteration or a you know, uh, inspired by very strongly other things, and 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 you could call it a copy. I mean, it's basically taking the H1Z1 battle royale mode and and making it a game. So to get go down so hard on Fortnite seems uncharitable at best and a little mean spirited at worst. That said, it's I think what probably rubbed them the wrong way is the fact that it's so similar, and that especially what was it a trailer that was released that 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 made this blow up? Was that yeah, it? Yeah, I believe so. And I think that trailer had, like, just, you know, looked like, wait a minute, is this PUBG I'm watching? Oh, no, it's it's Fortnite. Okay. Like, like and, and, and I think playing the game will be more different than that trailer probably looked, but I don't know. That I don't know. So that's why it's a big deal. No, um, certainly. It's just, to me, it's interesting because, I, you know, I think the goal is to be the best. Like, it's not like Overwatch invented the hero shooter. Obviously, Team Fortress has been around for a decade, right. but they found a way to make it better. I think right. Fortnite has to make it better to even come close to stealing that audience away. Exactly. Free or not free, people will pay 
time is way more expensive than 30 bucks. Like, yeah, I didn't jump on everything. Battleborn when it became free to play. <laughs> no, no, certainly not. Um, and actually, that's another piece of news. They just announced that their next little DLC thing they're launching will be their last, and then they're putting that game out to pasture. Um, they finally gave up. I love you, Randy. I'm not trying to burn you, but... No, no, that Randy's game. Randy's all right. That game is woo. Did they bomb on that one? Battle. They just needed to. They just should have said. I mean, you're, I know we talked about it on the podcast before, but I think that you know we're obviously big fans of Borderlands Two here, um, and Borderlands Three. Like they just said, they weren't ready. They didn't have any ideas on how to make it truly, um, you know, current gen, and that's why they waited. But they fucked up. That was a mistake. They should have just put all their resources into that. Um, granted, it'll be nice that we've had a couple years off when it does finally drop, Borderlands 3. Sure. Um, but that'll, that's I don't know. their next salvo. I'm I'm more of the mind that it's like it's, it'll hopefully be worth the wait because, you know, I, sure. I forget what the story exactly where he said it, but he was basically like, we could just keep pumping out pre-sequels, but we don't want to do that. And to my mind, I'm like, yeah, the pre-sequel wasn't as good. No, it so was not. don't do that. <laughs> No, definitely don't do that. I mean, also, it, it was made by a slightly different team in Australia, and you could tell. Sure, but, but. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't, you know, for their 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 main development house. Um, okay, well, that's an interesting story for sure. Uh, my last one, I'm going to be interested to get your thoughts on this. Um, Monster Hunter. Um, so Monster Hunter World um, is a big deal for a lot of people. Um, this is the first console Monster Hunter in what eight years, something like that. A long time. Something like that. They've been doing these on 3DS for a while. I think the um, Wii version. So yeah, probably about eight, 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 six, eight, seven, nine. eight years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, at least yeah. Um, and the thing about Monster Hunter is that it has and has always had a lot of elements that have become really popular as of late. The survival genre is fucking huge. Just check Ark Survival Evolved if you want proof. Like, what the fuck even is that, Jordan? What even is that? A um, dinosaur game? As best I guess. As I, can tell. I guess. So I was, you know, in my job, I talk to people on the phone a lot. And I talk to a dude who plays Ark. And I was like, dude, what the hell is that game except minus the hell because I was a war. And this dude is just like, oh, man, it's really sweet. So here's what it is. And he's like, so here's the deal. You 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 get a character, right? And there's a hardcore mode. And right there he lost me. I was like, I hate hardcore modes in games, <laughs> like where you die, you're dead. But he's like, yeah, man, when you die, your character gets erased from the system. So when you go out there, the intensity is just so crazy, man. And then I was like, so how many characters have you lost, dude? And he's like, two. And then he goes, the first one was like, whatever, I was just starting out. But the second one, he said, it burned me. He was like, I built him up. I had all this cool gear. We had a base built. And then all of a sudden, this dude comes on, this dinosaur comes up and kills me. And I was like, wait, there's just dinosaurs and they just roll up on you? He's like, no, other players ride the dinosaurs. And I was like, all right, I can see the appeal here a little bit. But I still don't get what that game is. I still don't quite get it. And I don't get how it's so huge. When I first saw like the early access pop up on the Xbox One menu, you i was like what is that and 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 it's just probably another one of those flash in the pans they're going to appear and then disappear from my view things like um i don't know i don't there's a million examples and then it didn't disappear and people are buying the shit out of that game and loving it i see people that play destiny which is normally like so addictive you can't peel your, yourself away from it and they're like alternating between that and arc so it must be a really good game yeah, I, I I get the appeal to some extent of the just don't die games. Um, I've been fa- I was fascinated by Rust when it was big. I don't know if it's right. still big, but you know just that general idea. 
Um, yeah, yeah, which is which is interesting. I mean, I know Kelsey, um, friend of the show and former co-host, um, w- would be really into things like the Flame and the Flood and and that kind of game where where it's all about survival and you have to stay warm and you have to cook food and there may be hunting or may not be things like Don't Starve, so like roguelike mixed with survival. Um, people like that concept. I haven't been able to get into it yet. I know Division had a mode that was a survival mode. Survival's big. PUBG is sort of like that, but in a more like you know, instanced way where you just do it for 30 minutes, excuse me, start over. So that's fun. But anyway, my point was that Monster Hunter World is coming into this market and it's coming back to consoles and PC in an era where games like this have never been more popular. And so people are really excited for it. Monster Hunter World is like big news. And it finally got a release date at TGS of January 26th. So two days after my birthday. Um, Don't all send your birthday presents at once. Um, uh, In 2018. And um, that's exciting. It definitely is going to be the next Monster Hunter, Monster Hunter I try. So I tried real hard with Monster Hunter, not Generations, but uh, Ult- 4 Ultimate on the 3DS. And I just, I find myself really hamstrung by the trying to do a game of that ilk on a 3DS. It just doesn't work for me. Um, I enjoyed Monster Hunter on 3DS. Um, I had the new 3DS, which is what mm-hmm. it launched with. Uh, so right. it's kind of like the showcase. Right. And uh, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed that game. I liked the – I forget what it is. I think it's the Insect Glaive was the one I had. Yeah, it was. It yeah. was. I remember you telling me because I was asking you what you used. And that is – I don't know. That weapon really clicked with me in a way that whatever I played with the first couple of times I played Monster Hunter did not. So I really enjoyed playing the game that way. And um, I will probably inevitably play Monster Hunter World. Just oh, yeah. It looks super fun. Um, it really does. It really does. It might not it necessarily like it be a de- day one purchase, but you know, I, I definitely it's going to be. It. It's going to be one of those games. See, it's just so to me, it's so big and expansive that on that little screen and 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 trying to run through those menus and do all those complex things, I just couldn't get into it. And a lot of gamers have felt that way. Even big Monster Hunter fans are dying for the next console iteration, as is evidenced by how popular this has been. Um, this news and. People are just eating up and making YouTube videos about every little morsel of information that comes out, almost as if they cook it over a stove with a little mini game where it goes round and round like a piece of what is it, beef, chicken? Yeah. Um. Anyway, really bad uh, reference. So, um, I think that's it for news, right? There was. I had one more story I remembered that is worth at Uh-oh. least mentioning a little. Uh, Mention that shit. So, uh, I'm still, I'm not, I, I, I haven't played Injustice 2 in a while, but I'm still following the game, and I plan to go back to it once all the DLC characters have been released. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, the next slate of DLC characters for Fighter Pack 2 were announced. Um, and the first two were, one was a DC character adding in Black Manta, which wasn't really a big surprise. The other was Raiden from Mortal Kombat, which also, not a big surprise, both of them have very distinctive heads. And they were shown off in the... Um, silhouettes. The silhouettes. But the third one, which was a huge surprise, was Hellboy was announced as a DLC character. Come on. <laughs> yeah. So Hellboy, he will be coming probably sometime in November, if they're following about one character a month, has been the uh, pattern so far. So in about November, Hellboy will be the new Unjustice 2 fighter. <laughs> Wait, so you buy the player pack and then they just unlock sporadic, like over time? Well, you can either buy the Season Pass, which is everything, Fighter Pack 1 and 2 each get you three of the characters, or you can just buy them individually as they come out. And, you know, there's incremental savings for each one you do. Wait, wait, but but the Fighter's Pack, you you know, if you buy the Fighter's Pack 2 now, 
you, you get one character and then two that'll be like coming. So they don't you don't get all three at once with either of those packs. No, I think it's like eight dollars for each individual characters, twenty for the fighter packs, and I think like fifty for the season pass. Holy shit, that's expensive. Uh eight dollars yeah. a character? If you're buying for... them individually. Well, I mean it's what closer is it? Six, to five six seventy five if you're buying the season pass. Okay, okay, got it. Even still, though, man, fifty dollars on top of sixty—it seems like a lot to me. But then it's one I don't of those things the... where you know it takes a lot to develop a fighting game character. So you're you're right, you're right. I mean, that's the interesting thing about these games that you uh, what you don't think of is like if you think of like let's take Poison Ivy for example, that character has to be designed like her moves, but then every other character in the game, every um, um, backdrop or, or, or world or whatever you call them. Um, everything in that game, every weapon, every item, every interaction has to be tuned to play off of that new character. So especially if you're not doing a bunch of palette swaps, I mean, every mechanic has to be overhauled when you add one new character, right? Yeah, on top of that, every character has a inter- unique interaction with every other character, uh, both in the introductions and in the clashes, um, how they interact with the stages, how they're animated. I mean, yeah, there's a lot to consider. Interesting. That's really interesting. Well, hey, that's if people are paying it and are happy to do so, I mean, I'm just glad that fighting games are, are, are doing well, at least a couple of them. Uh, on the flip side, there are some that aren't doing as well. Um, are we maybe talking about that later or no? Oh, what? Marvel vs. Capcom? Yeah. Uh, no, I've not, I've not played okay. Infinite. All right, I wasn't um, sure. All I, I really could sure. say about that is the reviews seem good. It's just it's been called an ugly game. It's ugly as fuck. I mean, it really looks bad. And also the story is supposedly horrendous. Now, granted, nobody gives a shit. Um, but it is supposedly really bad. Uh, I was talking to well, Tim about this, friend of the show Tim, and he says that it's it feels like um, a return to Marvel vs. Capcom, I think, one, or whichever one was a more subtle game where it didn't have the bombast, the bombast and the explosions mm-hmm. like, like 2 and 3 did. Um, it was much more subtle, much more understated, um, and it's like the exact opposite of what people want from that game. Um, not only that, but it released like very feature incomplete, much like Street Fighter V did. Interestingly, um, where it came out, it didn't even have that one. Didn't even have a campaign. It didn't have like versus modes that people wanted. I mean, stuff that you expect bare minimum from uh, a release of a sixty dollars fighting game. It it came without. And obviously, this game looks real bad graphically. Um, it and uh, Crackdown Three uh, have probably been hanging out. Um, but um, <laughs> anyway, which they delayed, by the way. I don't think we ever talked about that, but they delayed that because they know it looks like ass. It looks so bad. Uh, and I'm glad they verified that. They were like, yeah, we did get some comments about how bad it looks. So we're like, you know, recooking it. Well, that's good. Um, but anyway, are you are you excited about Marvel vs. Capcom? Like, why is why is Injustice a day one purchase? Is it the story versus Marvel vs. Capcom? It's the story. It's the it's the type of gameplay. I mean, I, I I'll be honest. I I prefer Mortal Kombat style to Capcom's general style. Um, which isn't to say this is a Street Fighter clone or that Injustice is a Mortal Kombat clone. Just that. I feel I like the way they make games. Yeah, I like the story. I think you know I'm super invested in the Injustice universe. Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond that, Infinite didn't look great. It feels a lot more limited for whatever reason. I mean, not that it doesn't have a huge roster, but it wasn't a roster to get excited about. It lost a lot of its mainstays because of the whole um, Marvel not liking the X-Men thing. Right. I mean, this is a game right. that doesn't have Wolverine in it. It's crazy. Um, and so it, it just didn't jump out to me. The story looked 
weird and wonky and, and as ridiculous from the get-go as it ended up being. And, you know, I just, I had a fighting game this year. Uh, it's not something I was going to jump on in any case. I didn't even download the demo. So, and none of the new characters were that exciting to me. I'm just looking at the the player roster right now, and it's just nobody. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, also they they did something horrendous, and that is that I mean, I may that may be an exaggeration because we're not talking about brain surgery here, but it seems like a crime to not have the X Men characters. There's another thing Tim said. It's freaking ridiculous to not have like Magneto was like the main draw. Uh, it was like the number one favorite character in the previous games. No Wolverine. No Gene. I mean, nobody. Um, and to take the, all the X-Men out, I guess, despite, or to spite Fox, uh, or, you know, just because they're, everything Marvel touches now is, is like moving away from X-Men, it seems like, except maybe the comics. Um, so I, I don't know. He was just really, really miffed about that. They have their own spine as far as I can tell. So that's cool for them. <laughs> um, no, I wait, was... what? I don't get it. <laughs> no, um. One of the things we talk about, which if you listen to the Joy of Comics ever, we, we, we've mentioned a few times, but um, we always like when Marvel or DC changes their trade design. And the new X-Men books that were part of uh, Resurrection all have their own new spine type separate from any of the Marvel ah, Now books. trade dress. Got you. Trade Got dress, you. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Um, all righty. Um, well, let's move on to games um, yeah. that we've been playing. Um, so I have a couple uh, little ones. Um, and I am going to start with uh, one that you are not expecting me to talk about. And um, I've been uh, playing a lot of this game, uh, especially in the run-up to Destiny coming out. But I got, here's my new announcement first, I got Evita again. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I was, uh, I, I had Evita back in the day. Um, and, you know, we played things like Gravity Rush. I say we, like you and I and, and some other friends, played Gravity Rush. And, you know, we played Uncharted, Golden Abyss. And we played, um, you know, some other things. It was Go a ahead. beautiful system. It was gorgeous. Um, and then, you know, it just kind of fell apart. Um, Unless the, the you support... love JRPG stuff. Well, that's the thing. So I've been seeing that, you know, all these JRPGs are coming out there. I was getting huge into Kingdom Hearts, as anybody who listens to the podcast recently knows. And I was, like, really feeling like playing some more JRPGs and things like that and that Japanese vibe and that cutesy anime thing and just all that stuff I wanted more of. Plus, another thing is, you know, Danganronpa has really been blowing up. Number three actually just came out. Um, uh, the Despair Girls game uh, launched on, like, actual consoles. Um, and then I – and then, you know, the anime is doing really well. There may be a movie coming. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. So – I wanted to go back and finally finish Danganronpa 2, which I was working on on my PlayStation TV, believe it or not, or Vita TV, as Japanese calls it. Japan calls it, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wanted to go get a, a Vita for that reason and then also maybe pick up some of these JRPGs that are only available that way. Um, a lot of – one of the things I've been really excited about is the Nihon Falcom games that got re-announced, re-released by Xseed. And this is weird to hear me talking about, but I really wanted to start diving into some of these more – interesting action rpgs and these really story heavy story driven games um so all those reasons led me to and oh and i also want to go back and play final fantasy 7 um and at the time before i had a vita i thought that would be the best way to play it i've since learned otherwise because it turns out final fantasy 7 on the ps4 is actually the way to go because they have a remastered version which is actually hd upresed and um has everything cleaned up and is just better um like straight up nobody says it's not better um, so that's a bummer. Um, I, so picking that, and you can't play that on Vita except with remote play. 
So anyway, I go to I go to all the Game Stops looking for a perfect pristine Vita because I don't know if you know this, Jordan, but you can't buy one new. Did you know that? Uh, I think I remember that. You can't buy one new in the U.S. Now in Japan, they're they're jumping. They're all over the place if you want one, but in the U.S., they have been discontinued. You can get refurbished ones. Groupon is like perpetually selling the slim model. But other than that, you can't get one new. So I was like, I had to go on the hunt and find one without a scratch screen and find one that wasn't beat up and, and et cetera, et cetera. So initially, um, I went out and about and I was seeing a lot of the slims. Now, my real issue with the slim is that the slim Vita um, has an LCD screen as opposed to an LED screen. Now, unless, except for the fact that people have been talking about that ever since the Slim came out and bitching about it um, in Vita circles, like I wouldn't really have maybe known the difference myself. However, to hear that the LED screen is more vivid and has better blacks and is brighter and, 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 and better refresh rate or whatever and just looks better and that everybody liked the Slim better in a lot of ways, but that that screen really makes the Vita Prime or the 1000 series better. So I went around looking and I tried out some Vita 1000s. They were all a little bit scratched, little gashes here, little scratches on the back touch screen there. And then I got a, a Slim in my hands that was beautiful. And I felt it. And I was like, oh my God, does this feel good? The Slim feels great. Um, I didn't realize how much better it would feel. It's like 20% lighter and, you know, uh, just slightly th like thinner and it's just it feels more like a modern device than the original vita did so i I actually like got crazy got like three vitas out in a store compared all the screens one by one on top of each other and i decided on the slim i actually like it better um the screen i'd probably pick the led in a head in a head-to-head -head, but it had the the slim has um better better battery life significantly um the button placement's better the start select and ps buttons are easier to push um, the triggers are a little bit better and more refined. The overall feel of the machine is a little better. It's just, in general, um, a better console with the exception of the screen. And they went LCD because it's cheaper, um, but actually I like the way it looks a lot. It's very sharp and, and good looking. So anyway, very long story short, I bought the uh, Slim. I've been enjoying it tremendously. Um, I'm really a nut, so I'm even like my buttons feel a little bit squeaky, which is bothering me. But I've heard that's like pretty, pretty much across the board on all Vitas. Um, so I'm kind of getting over it. But anyway, I picked up some games for it. And they are, let's see what we got here on the list. We got um, Severed. I actually, a lot of this stuff too, and you may have this as well. I've been a big PlayStation Plus guy for a long time. So every time they have games, I've been downloading them onto my PS3. Um, and then that gives me like the right to have them later. Um, and so I have Amnesia Memories, which is a, a visual novel, Velocity 2X, which is a really great uh, shmup, um, Soul Sacrifice, which is like people love it, it's Monster Hunter clones, same thing with Freedom Wars, which I had. I had Sly Cooper Themes in Time because I bought like the PS3 version, it came with the Vita version. Um, I have Metal Slug XX, which I think I bought, Code Realized, Guardian of whatever, Severed, which I had. Uh, from from Plus, Grim Fandango Remastered, which I had from Plus, PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royale, which I'll probably never play, but I downloaded it, um, Trails of the, in the Sky, um, which is a Nihon Falcom game, um, supposedly like everybody loves it, have you heard about that one? Um, sky is... <laughs> Trails in, in the, the Sky, sky. yes, yeah. I, I actually played it. What? Not Not a lot, I didn't get super far into it, but yeah, I played it when I had a Vita. Oh wow! It's a very you slow it? starter. Yeah, yeah. It's yes, a very it slow is. Starter. Well, yeah, the buzz. But you know what I'm talking about. The buzz about that game was insane. People yes. are like, "This is one of the best RPGs ever made. You got to play it." The so majority I, I of that Jason Trier. 
<laughs> yeah, that's true. Kotaku. That's true, but, to be honest. But, but I, I like Jason Schreier's taste. I'm actually too. reading his book right now. If you don't uh, already know, he has a great book called Blood, Sweat, and Pixels out right now. I mean, it gives you the inside story. It's, like, all about what makes game development so hard. Like, people are like, what's the fucking deal? Why is it so hard to make games? And why is it so expensive? He'll tell you why in this book. It's fantastic. So check it out if you haven't. Um, anyway, um, then I also downloaded Dragon's Crown, which I'd played a bunch back in the day. Um, and then uh, We Are Doomed and Had a Full Boyfriend were this week's plus games. I, again, haven't really played those. Monster Hunter, uh, Freedom Unite 2 or whatever's on here. Um, and then I actually purchased Persona 4 Dancing All Night, which I only played a little bit. It seems cool. Um, but the real game that I've been playing on my Vita has been Ease, The Oath, and Felgana. Are you familiar with the Ease series? I, vaguely, in that it is a, an RPG series. <laughs> right, right, okay. So initially, and I've listened to, like, I went back and listened to the Retronauts podcast on 1UP, and I listened to um, uh, Active Time Babble, which was another 1UP co- uh, podcast. That one had a bunch, an episode about Ease, and then Retronauts had an episode about Falcom in general. Um, but there's a guy named Christian Nutt who works at Gama Sutra, who's like the biggest Ease proponent ever. Um, and he was talking about, I remember this from back in the day, like eight or seven years ago when, when these games came out. And then he was just raving about how great they were and how they're like the best Ease. You know, um, there's a big problem with localization when it comes to these Neon Falcom games, apparently. And finally, when XC got involved back like six, seven years ago, it finally got done right. Um, so these are actually PSP games, but I'm playing them on my Vita. They look great. Um, and the Oath in Felgana is actually a remake of Ease 3. Um, so the way the Ease series works is Ease 1 and 2 were, um, like, push into the enemy at corners to attack. So they didn't have an attack button. You ever play one of those kind of games? They, yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah. There's I, one I... Yeah. There, Labyrinth. There's one I, Labyrinth was a Genesis one. And then I think that's how the Pokemon Mysterious Dungeon games work. Yeah, maybe, or at least used to. So you, you basically just run into somebody to attack yeah. them at a certain angle. Um, the Ease 1 and 2 kind of invented that, or at least were one of the you know pr- first games to do it. Um, and then oh, Ease Necrodancer 3... does that. Oh, really? Cool. Yeah, yeah. And then Ease 3 came out, and uh, it was like a it was like the Ease version of Legend of Zelda 2. Like, uh, uh, what is it? Um, Link's Adventure? Is that what it's called? 2? Yes. One on NES. So it, it became a side-scroller. And it was supposedly had a good story, or pretty good, but it, it, it the, game, the combat, everybody was pissed, kind of like people sort of were about Link's Adventure. Um, and it really didn't have a good version available, and, 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 and there was definitely, it was never brought to the U.S. Well, when um, XSeed got involved, they started bringing out a bunch of games, and they announced they were going to redo Ease 3 in a spiritual successor. It's kind of like not even the same game. Um, but it's basically that, and, and it takes place in a place called Felgana. They go there, there's monsters. Um, and when I say they, there's two main characters in the East series, Dogi and um, a- uh, Adol. And Adol's like this flaming red-haired, not flaming in any way, I mean his hair is flaming red. Um, and he um, and his friend Dogi's like got blue hair, and, and like he's a big brute, and they're badass, and they just go on adventures together and get into trouble, and Adol has great adventures. And they do, it's told in a third-person um, narrative, so there's a narrator talking, and Adol never speaks. And at the beginning of the game, they have this intro that says, hey, um, go on this adventure with Adol. Um, experience the game as if you were him. Um, you will get tremendous enjoyment out of it. That kind of thing. Like very like um, ha- like sort of halfway breaking the third wall. Mm-hmm. And then 
And then uh, it, when you when you talk to people, the narrator pops in and says, Adol, explain the situation. And then the other characters will talk. And then it'll be like, Adol told them what he'd gone through. And then the other characters will talk. So it's really interesting storybook vibe. You never hear Adol's voice, obviously, for those reasons. But anyway, the combat and the gameplay. I've always wondered, like, people rave about Ease, especially Christian Nutt and a bunch of other people. They rave, rave, rave about the series and the combat and the music. supposedly amazing. It's this heavy metal, heavy metal JRPG music. It's intense and dry. Driving, um, and everybody raves about it. And I was like, what is it about these games? So I was going to pick this one up and play it all the way through and just find out. And dude, the game is so fun. So basically what you do is you run around and you have a sword and you upgrade your sword four or five times throughout the game. And it's like really fast, dynamic action RPG combat. And you have three magic types, which you unlock over the course of the game. So the first one is like flames you throw. The second one is wind magic that you kick up and it like spins around. And you actually use that one for jumps as well because it can make you, when you time it just right, you can jump over stuff. Because platforming is a big aspect of these games as well. And it's actually tight, believe it or not, unlike a lot of JRPGs that shoehorned it in. Um, and so it's basically like exploring dungeons like Zelda. There's a little bit of a uh, little bit of puzzle solving, but mainly just combat. It's lightning fast. It's action RPG combat, and you just swipe real fast. So if you bang on the button, it's like yeah, and then like you just and then you can throw some magic and then do some more sword swipes. If you jump up, you can do a down slash. If you jump up and hit the attack button while you're going up, you do an up slash, and it's actually the most damage any slash does. So you can get really into this system. So it's simple and easy to learn but hard to master and real fun but what's great about it is these games are brutally difficult but i'm playing it on normal i didn't take advice and do it on easy because when you get to a boss and the bosses are the hardest part of the game by far there's about 12 or 13 of them they're real tough tough as nails hard like shoot them up like um, bullet hell hard um, where they launch projectiles at you that you have very much trouble avoiding. You got to run around. You got to dodge. You have to be perfect about it. Um, and so, what's great is that when you when you die to the boss two or three times, it gives you the option to replay the boss on an easier difficulty. And they expect you're going to do it. Like it's that hard. Hmm. And you do that, and you can do that again and again and again till you go down to like very easy. Kill that motherfucker, and then it resets to normal difficulty for the rest of the game. <laughs> So you can go back through and, like, fight all the regular enemies and play the game as normal. But if you get stuck on a boss, you don't stay there for three hours. It's gotcha. great. No, that's cool. It's really, really fun. So anyway, I've been enjoying it. I'm on, like, the last dungeon. I'm going to push my way through it. I got a little derailed because of Destiny, but I played about 20 hours of this. It's really fun. Um, so I want to play the rest of the Ease games. There's Ease 7 that's out. Um, there's Ease 4, apparently, um, or Ease 6, Mark of Nipishtim, which is a game on PS2, I believe. Um, there's a new Ease game, um, the Nacrimosa of Dana, that just came out on the modern console, which is getting great reviews. They're really fun games, Jordan, so if you've never played one, I'd really recommend you try one. Super fun. Is there a place to play them on not Vita? Yes, I was just saying. Sorry, there's yeah, I missed that. Uh, sorry. The, no problem. There's one called The Lacrimosa of Dana on PS4 that just came out. PS4. Oh, you, okay, 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 okay. Yeah, yeah. Or you could go back on your PS2, I know you have, and play uh, <laughs> that thing. It's beat. No, it's not that it's beat. It's just it's it's all packed away, and I just – the thought of pulling it out. Yeah, I, I hear you. I, mine's in a drawer. Um, but anyway, yeah, so so you could play that. You could play Mark of the Pishtum. 
Um, you could play them on PC, and they're not very demanding. Actually, supposedly those are the best versions of the ports or the PC ones. Anyway, so if anybody out there wants to get into like a really good RPG series that you may not know about but is totally worth a play, the E series is awesome. And I remember them from back in the Sega CD when they first came to the U.S. And I remember seeing them and like being like, A, that's so foreign looking to me because I was young. I didn't know any better. I just didn't even know how to approach it. It just seemed like really hardcore gamers I... that I... Or, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I'm no. Yeah, just please, please. At it. I vaguely yeah. remember it because I know I saw it a lot. Like, yeah, the Ark of ne- Nepishtim. I remember seeing a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. I saw this thing in it, game stores all the time. Exactly, exactly. And that's supposedly a pretty good one. It's not the best. These these PSP games are supposedly like the best versions. But there's a lot of them you can play now. Like I, I think at least two that you can play on modern consoles. But they're really fun action RPG games, and and the combat is just tight. And it's amazing, six, seven, eight years ago, the combat just feels very modern and quick and, like, punchy and fun. I mean, you would love it. Knowing what you like, you would love this game. Interesting. Um, So, And the story's decent. I mean, it's not all about the story, but it's good. You know, little betrayals and brothers and sisters and love and, you know, regret and kings and queens and you know the shit. Um, but really, really good. So anyway, I've been loving that game. Anywhere I went, I was playing that until Samus Returns and Destiny took over my life uh, with a stranglehold. Um, but it's great. And then also Trails from the Sky supposedly even has is even better, apparently. Now, that's a turn-based, more traditional RPG, but it's really excellent. And the story says Jason Schreier and others, I'd like to believe, um, just love that game. They say the, the, the story is amazing. And then once you play Trails in the Sky 1, then there's Trails in the Sky 2nd Chapter. Then there's Trails of Broken Steel or Twisted Steel or something like that. Trails of Cold Steel 1 and 2. And those are available on PS3 and PS4. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are games that I'll eventually get to, but I want to play this series through. So basically I'm talking about about 200 hours of RPG gameplay ahead of me. But hey, what? nothing wrong with that if it's really fun. Uh, yeah. um, <clears throat> so anyway, I wish I'm, I had more to ahead. say about ease over the whole but i wasn't expecting it and i just don't know a lot about the series well it isn't it isn't the kind of game that most people know anything about it's just one of those things but anyway it's really cool it's really fun um the only other thing i want to talk about when it comes to the vita is i also started playing dragon's crown again just a bit because i've always loved that game because i like games by it's a vanillaware game so vanillaware um got famous making princess crown they also did muramasa the demon blade and they also did uh odin sphere which i think you've played some of those yeah, Odin Sphere I played a lot of. Which is good, and they're good games, but I always really wanted to get into Dragon's Crown because it was the most modern of them, um, except for the remakes of Muramasa and, uh, and, and and Odin Sphere. But regardless, there's supposedly a really good Odin Sphere Lifetizer or whatever that came out, a remake that's supposedly really excellent and fixes a lot of the problems. But Dragon's Crown is the most modern, and it basically took that idea of these gorgeous hand-drawn backgrounds, and, uh, and then it, it, it combined it with, like, Final Fight or... Uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the arcade game, those kind of games, the side-scrolling beat-em-up, and it was really neat, and you would level up, and you would gather items, and it was gorgeous looking, except it was very overly sexualized to a point that just looks, I mean, it isn't even, I'm not even talking about this from a political perspective, just, just visually, it's just like these big bosoms bobbing, it's just, just, it's unnecessary, but if you can look past that and just look at the beautiful backdrops and all that, it's a really pretty game. But I always bounced off of it. I always got like to level 10 or 12, and I was like, oh, I don't, why I don't like this? The reviews are so good, and I should love it. I love Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the arcade game. I love Final Fight. I love side-scrollers, and this one takes side-scrollers and combines it with the depth I always wanted and adds RPGs in, and it's gorgeous, and upgrading weapons is something I love. It has that, that, that gameplay loop that I'm obsessed with, 
but yet I always bounced off this game. I always just found it not that fun, and I thought, well, if I get better at the combat, if I find a class that I love, but I can't find a class that I love, and then they have these weapons, like, for example, the knight, he'll do, like, his strongest attack, takes his main weapon, his axe, and throws it across the screen, and then it has a cooldown before you can pick it up again. And I get that the combat's tuned around that, but I don't want my weapon out of my hand sitting over there on the other side of the screen and I can go grab it. And like three of the characters have weapons like that where, taught, where their most powerful move makes you basically useless for like three or four seconds till you grab it again. And then all the sorcerers, they have like a, a, a mana pool that like drains down when you use it. And then you have to, instead of it auto recharging, you have to stand there and hold a button down for it to recharge. And it's just, the flow sucks. And I've always tried to get into it and get into it. And I just, I, I keep bouncing off of it. And I think I'm just gonna finally just agree that I'm not into it. And the worst part is right now, they just announced a TGS. Now I'm being contradicted about all the things that were actually announced at TGS, but um, they announced Dragon's Crown Pro is coming. So there's a PS4 version coming out, and I, I don't know. I, I just I can't get into it. So that's my other uh, other Vita game I played uh, quite a bit of here, and, and just can't can't really love. Did you play that? No, I think I had the option a few times, but I never did, just because it didn't interest me immediately. Yeah. But yeah, it's not one I ever really got to. Cool. Um, well, on that note, um, I've been talking a while. Why don't you tell me what you've been playing? Uh, well, I, honestly, I remembered because we, we'd been doing it for two weeks every while, so now it's been long enough that there were games I was not forgetting about necessarily, um, but just just hadn't weren't immediately on my head when I was making my list. So I'll start there. Uh, the biggest one, which I mentioned last time, was Sonic Mania came out. Oh, Hell yeah. Um, this game is every bit as good as uh, could be hoped. Um, and even more than that, <clears throat> I've always said, I'm someone who remembers very fondly playing Sonic 2 and Sonic 3 and the earliest Sonic games, but they're not games that I think have necessarily aged perfectly. Um, I think just the fact that none of them really ever got big HD updates, which is weird to say about a pixelized, uh, you know, a 2D game. But, mm -hmm. you know, they, they, they were like, if you play that Sonic 2 port, it's in standard definition. It's a square. Um, some of it just feels a little stiff. Um, just be given the controls were made for a Genesis controller, which was a little more simplistic. A lot of Sonic's moves would develop over time. Um, but Sonic Mania just, it feels like a proper modern sequel to Sonic 3 and Knuckles. Um, which it, is what they aimed to do, finally. Yeah, and they, I, they nailed it. They made a game that is visually vibrant, that is full to bursting with unique ideas for every single level. They all feel distinct. Even Act 1 and Act 2 of each zone... They've packed it full of bosses. Each zone, uh, ha you know, each act has its own boss. The bosses have different personalities. Sometimes you're just going to face a robot. Sometimes you're going to face Eggman himself. Sometimes you're going to face one of the hard-boiled heavies, which are like egg robos that have been turned into these unique characters mm, by mm, the... Mm, mm. Hmm? Hard-boiled heavies? The hard-boiled heavies, yes. That's awesome. I love that. And so there's one that is the... Um, uh, 
heavy magician, and he does things like transforms into different old Sonic villains when you fight him. Or there's the heavy shinobi that can, like, attack you if you don't hit him while he's jumping, and it, it adds a lot of strategy to each fight. Uh, some of them are a little more simplistic, but it also evolves past bosses and returns them in new forms. It takes the old levels, of which, um... Nine of the 12 zones, I believe, eight or nine, I forget off the top of my head, are uh, based on originals, but whereas the first act will be basically recreating uh, the best parts of those, the second act will just be completely new with a bunch of new elements and new things, like Chemical Plant Zone has different fluids that you can eject into uh, pools to turn them into bouncing gels. But you, you do that, that's got to be context sensitive, right? That It's not a move you have. No, it's not a move. It's like you jump on top of a... Um, dispenser a dispenser and it'll pop out but it's things like that uh there's and the new zones are fantastic uh mirage saloon is all western and and just has a great theme the music is on point throughout it's gone back and in addition to the original zones uh there are any of the games from sonic 1 and 2 uh didn't originally have different songs for each act that's mm-hmm. something that got introduced later in the series. So, you know, Green Hill Zone now has a new song for Act 2. Chemical Plant Zone has a new song for Act 2. Remixes, new versions. Um, but yeah, the bosses are great. The songs are fantastic. The gameplay feels... Ju- it feels perfect. It feels tighter than it's ever been before, honestly. Um, it's So it's 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 that thing that, that developers go for, right? Where when they're making... When they're doing a new version of an old game is make it feel like you remember it feeling, not like it actually played. Yeah, and it's a problem that a lot of people have had, and I can't even fully default it. Like, you know, there, people hate Sonic the Hedgehog 4, both episodes. They don't love necessarily how Generations feels. And while I I, I actually liked all of those games, um, I can agree that it didn't feel exactly like I remember Genesis Sonic playing. Uh, but this does, and it feels it in a modern way. It's it's hard to explain. It's, 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 it's almost um, magical how they make it work. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, obviously, and I think we mentioned this last time, but it is a fan that made this game. Um, it's a guy that has done iOS ports of Sonic games for Sega, um, and he also worked on some other stuff. But the like, Sonic they brought CD him in. HD remake. Right. They just brought him in to do it, and they finally wised up. It seems like a lot of developers are finally like learning how to appease their fans or treat their fans like give them what they want. Yeah. Well, he, he had... pitched them. He he created a bunch of stuff and pitched them his vision for this game, and they said yes very wisely went for it because it's it, it's single-handedly rejuvenating people's like faith and excitement about the sonic franchise how much of that goodwill will hopefully not be squandered with forces uh in a couple of months uh how is forces looking i you know, it looks like boost gameplay you know it's it's what's in unleashed generations and colors so it's got a strong foundation. Hopefully they, they tighten. I think I think Classic Sonic is going to be the most scrutinized just coming right off of this into new Classic Sonic levels in, yeah. in that. That'll be interesting. Um, I'm hopeful. I really... Look, I'm going to play that game no matter what. And I will probably enjoy it no matter what. But hopefully right. it can be as transformative for 3D Sonic. That would be cool. I mean, obviously, they, they've got, they're, they're, they're bringing, you know, smart, smart... Sonic fans around them to to sort of smack them across the face a little bit and say like this is what people love because you know a lot of a lot of pundits have been saying for many years now like Sonic fans will never be happy because Sonic always sucked and people just don't realize it like that's what a lot of people say and now that's been proven untrue because this game shows that a modern Sonic game 
that you know adheres to what was great about the original trilogy um can be great and it kind of puts that argument to rest finally and it shows sonic fans like we can be happy right yeah and i mean look it's just a phenomenal game it's it's compulsively playable i kept going back to it just kept wanting to play it i gold medaled every blue it, sphere right? space or huh? whatever you call it you you uh you 100%ed it right 1000 pointed it yeah i got i got a um i got all the gold medals on every blue sphere stage i completed the game with all the characters i got all the achievements um got all you know i did everything and it just i i want to play it even more it's just that good and fun so that's unbelievable if you are a Sonic fan, past or present, if you you know were worried about this game, there's no reason to. I mean, I'm I'm not the first person to tell you that, but uh, it it's everything I could hope for, given that it's one of my favorite video game characters of all time. So yeah. I, I really enjoyed Sonic Mania. Awesome, awesome, cool. What else you got for us? Uh, this this one's a small one, not nothing too major, but um, Resident Evil Five, the the uh, Xbox One port. We I, I f- finished finally uh, in that I completed my last playthrough of it on professional with <laughs> I mean I had infinite ammo turned on but it's sort of like uh, Devil May Cry's hell or hell mode where you know everything dies in one hit you and the enemies so it would be a lot of times where you if if you get hit you your health drains so fast that if your partner isn't right there to heal you you're going to die. Does that mean you guys ended up right next to each other the whole time? Yeah, we hugged we hugged as close together as possible except when we had to split up. Um, and even then, you can be right next to each other, and if the context-sensitive event that hurts you is long enough, it doesn't matter. You could, like, slam that B button to heal, and you're, they're still going to die as you're spraying them. So it's it's tough. Uh, but we got through... Is pro- it worth playing? Yeah, because on the other side, we had infinite rockets and infinite chain guns. <laughs> so, you know. Wait, wait, wait. What about bosses, though? Uh, most bosses die with one hit from the rocket launcher. Okay. That's always like a thing is it, you know it's like if you buy a rocket launcher, you know like in Resident Evil 4, if you if you pay the That's exorbitant right. price to get a rocket launcher, it is a it is a win button. Right, I remember that now. I remember that. So, you know, with a lot of the bosses it was like, all right, hit them with a rocket and they die. Well, that's good. So you had a win button on that because those bosses otherwise could be really hard. Well, I remember playing. I remember playing five with Tim, and he was getting frustrated with me because that Wesker fight at the end is fucking tough. Well, that's what's funny. Uh, you like the very last one in the volcano? Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's funny is we immediately turned around and like hit him with a rocket launcher, and it skipped all the way to like the third part of the fight, and he was dying. Wow. So oh, that's it, good. It, yeah, no, we were just done. Um, but on top of that, we also played through Lost in Nightmares and Desperate Escape, which are very you know short, episodic DLC that came out for the game that we never played before. Um, yeah, yeah. You played those on normal, though. Yeah, I mean, we might go back and do professional just for the achievements, but, you know, uh, they'd be harder. But they're very short. I mean, Desperate Escape is essentially a battle gauntlet where you see what happened to Jill after her uh, separates from Chris towards the end of the story. Um, Lost in Nightmares fills in how she got kidnapped by Wesker in the first place, and it's much more puzzle-based. It is, uh, like, fighting enemies is optional, and for the majority of it, you don't even see enemies. Um... What's interesting, huh? Are they good? Yeah, we had fun doing it. Um, What was interesting about Lost in Nightmares starts off in a mansion very similar to the first game. (laughs) And uh, in looking, we, we, unfortunately, we had stopped halfway through, so we found out when we came back that it is just a one-go type thing. Uh, So we had to, like, 
wind it back. And so in looking up something to remember where something we'd already found was, there is an Easter egg where if you look at the door that you came in through three times, it will switch to the Resident Evil 1 camera mode uh, for the first part of it, which really effed us up because... They they still control like tanks. It's just much easier when you're over their shoulder. Interesting. Um, but overall, Interesting. we we had a lot of fun playing those. Uh, it is Resident Evil Five is a very fun game. It is not as good as Resident Evil Four. It's not as scary, but it's just buckets of fun. It always has been, and I think no, it, it really is fun. You know, it it doubled down on co-op. And so, if you play it in co-op, it it, it represents uh, its 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 biggest strengths. I mean, some of the problems I had with that game were like the inventory system. Um, I didn't love the way they did weapons and weapon upgrading versus one. One was like, I mean, excuse me, versus four. Playing four was so fun, and the and the and the the the, the merchant and you know what you're buying and you buy all the shit and it's you upgrade a, your weapons it's and it's just so much more fun. It's a very late two thousands game where it's just like we're gonna obscure everything to menus. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but for what it was, it was a lot of fun. We really enjoyed playing that one. Uh, you know, six is not that expensive, and we're, we're thinking about it. We just both have such bad memories of six that we're not. Uh, except that six is amazing, right? But six is a, for what you want out of that game: a bunch of co-op dumb fun. That is like the best game because it's huge. It's huge. It's gigantic. But the so much worse. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's fun to play. I think I always like to play it. I think the story is is, is boneheaded, um, but playing through it, it's just more of what I love. So I don't know. I we'll mean, see. yes, it's not scary. Yes, it's like a combat thing. But there's I'm just another saying. game we're considering at the moment that may end up being what we play. But which is what? Uh, well, they recently made Tom Clancy Ghost Recon Wildlands free for five hours. So we're downloading that, and we're going to see how much fun that is to co-op. Hmm. And all the okay. reviews say it's a game for co-op. It's like, play it in co-op, and you're going to have the best time. So Interesting. Okay. Um, I have that game. It's pretty fun. The uh, Yeah, so that was it. The only other game, because uh, the only other game I have before Samus Returns, which I know we're both going to be talking about. Right. Is uh, Madden NFL 18. <laughs> Oh, right, you got that freaking thing, and long shot. I red-boxed it. I did not buy it. Oh, you did? Yes, I red-boxed it. Oh, thank God, I thought you bought it. No, God. Oh, my God, I was sure you bought it. No, I red-boxed it. Because when I I made that comment to you, like, I heard it's two hours long, and, like, the way you responded, you were like, eh, maybe more like three. (laughs) No, I would not be that dodgy. Did you buy this? No, red-box was my friend on that one. Okay. Um, so uh, being so, so let's take this with a grain of salt, listeners, and me as as a listener to this as well, um, knowing that he paid three six dollars for this at the most. No, now hold on. I, I think... <laughs> would you have bought it, dude? Would you have bought no, it? No, I would not have bought it. But I don't want to play the football game that it comes with. Like, look, I bought this. I've never I've never said anything differently. I got I was interested in this because of long shot mode when E three rolled around and that trailer with Mahershala Ali showed up. I was just like, you know what? I want to play that. That looks good. That looks like a Telltale-type adventure game. Why don't you play one of those instead? Oh, yeah, you have been. I have been, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but not not enough to say. I have been playing Wolf Among Us and uh, Batman, but I just I, I, it's hard to talk about those now, given that I'm only halfway through. Not even halfway yeah. through them, so yeah. I want to wait until we'll, we'll I talk finish. about it, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but but is, that what led, is that what led up to it, though, playing this? A little bit, yeah. This this reminded me how fun that game system can be. 
Okay. Um, anyway, go ahead. Let me stop derailing you. No, 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 no problem. Uh, Let's but, hear about Murder Hershela. But um, I just I thought the story looked good. I wanted to experience it, so it came to Redbox. Would I have bought this for sixty dollars? Of course not. I don't right. love football, but what's great about well, it was an interesting it was an interesting split because while the game was loading, uh, you know, you have to hard, de- install it to your hard drive. Right. It said ready to the start. Whole fucking thing. Right? Yeah. It said ready to start. So I started, and it just threw me right into last year's Super Bowl game <laughs> with no explanation of how to do anything, and it was pretty sad. My fiance was watching and just laughing because she understands football. I do not. Um, right. And so it was a case of me just, like, constantly effing up plays, let alone I didn't really know the controls or how anything worked. It was a weird experience. But then it, it finished installing, and I started long shot mode. And honestly, if you if you are interested in generally a football game and you like the idea of possibly playing one, I think long shot mode is actually a really good place to start. It is the story of a character who is, you know, he's he played college ball. He played high school ball. His dad was the coach. His dad is played by Mahershala Ali. And then he goes off to college. And he eventually drops out for certain story reasons. And then finally is like, you know what? I'm going to go to the Combine. I'm going to try to make it into the NFL. And from there, he's one of the players approached. uh, He's approached about this possible thing called Longshot, which is about taking one hopeful NFL player and, you know, like giving them super specific training from, you know, NFL Legends, which is where you get a lot of the cameos. And from a. So this is a fake thing. Yes. It doesn't really exist. No, there, there's not, okay. like, a show called Longshot or anything. Okay. No, I mean, and there's also not, like, a uh, uh, an actual, like, thing that happens in the NFL where they take, like, one, like, player that didn't get his shot. Or no, 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 no. Not one. Okay, they it's do totally have, made up. They do have the combine where you can go and, like, perform and, and you know, try to earn a spot just generally. Right. And I actually saw uh, a Let's Play of this, and I saw a bit of it. I saw it was them outside of the hotel um and the one dude like wants to party and he tries on his jersey and he's like yeah man this is rad and then he, he's like the main character is like much more reserved and you know that kind of thing yeah they make him a bit more reserved a, a lot of it is how you choose to play him in your um uh playthrough your playthrough decisions your decisions and how how you lead him but you know, the story develops with you going on to this TV show. The coach is original. It's not a real coach, which is a smart move. They, In fact, there's a whole story you can read where how it was going to be a celebrity, but then they were like, we can tell a better story if it's an original character, which it does. It's actually, uh, like, overall, I don't want to give too many spoilers away, but the story works. It is It is a very well-told, emotionally impactful story that has, you know, positive emotional male friendship, which is definitely something that isn't explored enough in media. Um, it's got a lot of things about the behind the scenes. It's got pretty solid character relationships. It's nothing, you know, world changing. It's sort of like how, you know, when people talk about how great The Last of Us is, right? It's because, not because it's inherently a groundbreaking story, but because for video games, it is something that you hadn't seen before in the medium. Okay. And that's kind of what this feels like. If you've seen, you know, feel good sports movies... Um, even the best ones of those, you know, cause, cause like movies like Rudy, that's considered a classic. Okay. And you know, it, it's that sort of story that's been seen if you're a big sports movie fan, but for someone who's coming in and never really paid much attention to the NFL or how it works, this story really worked for me. Um, and I really dug it. It overall was about three, four hours. And the other good thing it does is 
it it simplifies the game out in really smart ways into small little mini games. Yeah, very small like, mini games. Uh, like like you run down the field and catch a ball. Yeah, or you grab a do, ball and you run into a something. You'll do the occasional offensive plays. It never makes you play defense. It's all of offensive plays. It teaches you how those work. It does it by making it that Devin, who is the main character, was in the he was a quarterback, but he never really learned all the super important specifics that you have to know to be an NFL player. And so you get those tutorial moments. It shows you the different types of plays and how you can read the field. It does a pretty good job of it for someone who has no idea coming in. Anything other than you need to get 10 yards every four downs or the ball switches. It taught me a lot about how it works. Is it 10 yards? I didn't know that. I thought it was like 20. Anyway. Um, it might be 10. Yeah, for ten, first and 10. Okay. Um, th- all right. But, uh, you know, just all of the specifics that I, I got to learn were cool. You know, it's probably very shallow. I mean, there's deeper modes to go into. There's a full tutorial mode. But for this mode, it does a good job of just introducing you to the concepts. Um, it's overall just a really good story. I, I was surprised by how good it was. Uh, the actors all do fantastic work and sell the story. It has a great villain in the, like, uh, long shots the TV producer that's, like, running it is just this super slimy, wormy character you could imagine Bradley Whitford playing. Uh, it It's just... It's it's a fun it's a fun story. It's an emotionally impactful story. What do you know Bradley Whitford from? Because uh, I know him from The Mentalist. A lot of things. He, he was in the, the Agent Carter short film. He was in uh, Get Out. He was in... Um, uh, uh, oh, what is it? Cabin in the Woods? You know, he's okay, been in a lot okay. of different Now I got it. I get it. I get it. I get what you mean now. Especially the two last things you said, Get Out, and uh, where he's like the dad or whatever, and then um, the other one you just mentioned, Cabin in the Woods. Now, now, now I see that he really does have a total type. Yeah. Yeah. So just generally, it is – it's a really well-told story. Uh, I, you know, I keep going back to that, but that is what I wanted. Now, would it have been worth $60? No, but I wouldn't pay $60 for, you know – Batman or Life is Strange because they're so short. You know, that's why that model is $5. If this were released as, like, two $5 episodes, I think that would be fine. Okay, got it. Well, um, I, uh, yeah, I mean, that's it. I, I could see that. I could definitely see that being fun, especially the learning to read the field and the little mini games sound great. Because what, what's good to me to hear about is that the game actually finds ways to be essential on its own. So, you know, it being a Telltale game, like, it's not going to be as good at that. Or if it is as good at that, that's fine. But, like, it's the football Telltale game. But the fact that it brings in aspects of the Madden game that it's packaged with makes it really good. Now, my next question is, to that end, is it a good tutorial, in a way, for how to, like, dive into Madden 18 afterwards? There is a continuing mode where it is less story-driven. So you basically go into... I think it's like a some kind of seasonal mode that that continues the story, but isn't real. It's not the same thing. It's like you take him into his first season, right? And and it'll teach you a little more. I didn't go to that. I had seen the story part, so I stopped playing. So I don't know how effective it would have been at making me a good Madden NFL player, but but it does have a lead in. It has a lead in. Smart. And it does enough to. I could now watch a football game and have a better idea of what is happening on the field. Which I think is a smart way to have played it for people who might have been intrigued, like me, by this story mode. And let's be honest, by... uh, 
I think people, this is going to potentially speak to a different audience. I don't know that they've pushed it that hard in the advertising. I don't think they have to because it's Madden. Right. Um, they don't. They sell millions of copies anyway. And then every one of those people sells their copy to GameStop or gives burns it <laughs> and then buys the next one. Yeah. Um, it's a license to print money to the tune of millions of dollars every year. End of story. So I don't know why they did it because they didn't have to do it. But at the same time, it, it did It did bring in new players like yourself. Granted, you didn't buy a copy of the game. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, it was never going to... Unless I had really fallen in love with the gameplay. And from a strategic point of view, I get why people like sports games. Especially football. I think it, it plays out in a way that you can be a bit more strategic with it that's why well, it's it's perfect it's perfectly designed you have these little you know these little downs and you, you get to make a plan and execute it's like a mini rts every play in a way yeah but it's just not what i uh want to be doing right but, but right. i enjoyed the story mode so i i think it's worth trying do you think they'll keep doing it you know given that this is something they've been developing for a few years i don't know that it's Unless they've they've committed to doing more, or if they're going to rush the next one, it's hard to say. But we'll see next year. Okay, cool, um, awesome. Well, um, is that it for your uh, anything but uh, Metroid? All I have left is Metroid. Okay, cool. Well, let me dive in then um, with the thing that I've been playing the most, um, and it is called Destiny Two. Um, so is to it give, a, it is, it is, and it is massively successful. Um, so. Destiny 1, um, my background in Destiny 1 is that I picked up Vanilla Destiny, I played it for about a month or two, um, ran out of stuff to play cold. Now, here's the thing about Destiny 1. Um, if you just played it for a month or two and uh, that was it for you, uh, for Destiny 1, you probably don't have a good taste in your mouth from that game. Vanilla Destiny is an undercooked experience with amazing combat, though. Popping off headshots in Destiny 1 even, even as it existed at its initial release, is as fun as any game to ever pop off headshots or to ever do uh, strafe and shoot or to ever do any. I, I still stand by it as the best gunplay I've ever played by at least an order of magnitude for me. Um, and so the problem is it was announced as this 10-year experience that was going to kick off with Destiny 1 and that it was going to have this amazing cinematic story that was going to, you know, really just bring you into the world um, and then it would, like, branch out into this thing where you, you know, work on your, work on, you know, grinding for loot and then there was going to be these raids where there's six six guardians which is what you call a destiny player get together and they go on this raid adventure and then there's little mini raids called strikes that you go on but the original game launched with like three or four strikes and one raid that got brought out a little after the release called vault of glass um and then it had expansions and each of those expansions felt like they should have been in the original game and really they were developed alongside the original game as like more continuation that was very necessary of the story but you have to buy each of them for 20 bucks there's there's so a lot, lot out there about what happened you know behind the scenes before destiny launched so i'm not you know exactly not surprising exactly and so you know what what happened is and, and read jason schreier's book if you really want to know but but a little a little mini version of it is they didn't know what they were making it has never been done before now we have you know anthem and shit like that that's coming out but back before destiny nobody had tried to make an mmo on a console or otherwise that was shooting based and in fact um overwatch exists because they were sort of making that uh at blizzard and couldn't uh, and then they just decided to make it a hero shooter. 
Um, making and there's other ones that died on the vine as well. Making a game that is a shooter, um, even if you're freaking Blizzard. I mean, not Blizzard. Uh, even if you're Blizzard, yeah. But even if you're Blizzard or if you're uh, Bungie, trying to make a shooter MMO is next to impossible. And it proved that. Um, they brought it out. At least they got the combat right. And they talk about why the combat's so good. It's this Bungie special sauce. I got so mired in Destiny later, and I'll go into that in a minute, that I started listening to every podcast and every piece of information and listening to Luke Smith talk about how he designed the Vault of Glass raid and, and, and why people love it so much and, and all of that kind of detail. But the point is, Destiny has a special sauce, or Bungie does, for how they make their gameplay so compelling. And it's a combination of factors. One of those is um, their auto-aim. So they make console shooters. That's what they make, except this Destiny 2 will eventually come out on PC. But first and foremost, they're a console shooter developer. And so what they make are games with auto-aim that is really generous, but not to the point where it takes competitiveness out of it. So like what they what they talk about in the podcast I listened to was you can just like turn around, do a 180, and just pop off a headshot and actually hit it. They call it those amazing Destiny or amazing Bungie moments. You probably remember some of those from uh, uh, Halo, right? Oh, of course. And, and that is Bungie's bread and butter. They know how – they have a special – they don't tell anybody exactly how they do it, but they have algorithms and methods, and they just tune that combat to death to make it amazingly fun. So it's not about being Counter-Strike and being all about stick skills or mouse skills. It is about fun and competitiveness in equal measure. And they nailed that in the first one. However, Luke Smith, who made the Vault of Glass raid, which is by far the most successful and most beloved piece of Destiny 1 – went on and was the creative director of The Taken King. Well, when The Taken King came out, I jumped back in. It looked fun. I already loved Destiny 1, but but ran out of content in a month. I went back into Taken King, and right before Taken King came out, I played the expansions, because you could buy, pre-order Taken King and get the first two expansions, the Dark Below and um, the other one. I, I, it's slipping my mind right now. And right. play them. Go ahead. Rise of Iron? No, that's the... No, that was later. That was after Taken King. Something of that Crows? Was... No, you're close, though. Um, hold on a second. Shit, we gotta know. Sorry. Um, I wish I could remember. It, it's, yeah, it it was, hold on one second. Destiny video game. The expansions. Here we go. Um, they were The Dark Below and um, House of Wolves. You were close. Wow. Not not Crows, but Wolves. Um, so anyway, they, they, uh, I played both of those. I enjoyed them because at that point I could play Destiny 1 again. They had redone the, uh, at that point they had redone the dialogue for nolan they made nolan north the ghost they got rid of dinklebot of, they got rid of dinklebot you know your lore you, i mean your your, your story well, i was that was right around when i was playing it I, I did play it a little bit after i think right before taken king came out was when uh -huh. i finally picked it up possibly possibly um i thought you played it vanilla i did i did not have any dlc i just that's when i picked it up Oh, got it, got it. So you played Vanilla Destiny later. Because remember, Vanilla Destiny copies went into, you know, basically $0 when Taken King Collection came out. Right, you're right. It was 5 bucks at that point. You're absolutely right. Okay, cool. So that, that, that fills it in for me. I didn't realize it was that late that you did it. But anyway, so so I played those expansions. I liked them. I listened to the new Nolan North Ghost, which was arguably better. But really, it was a writing problem, not a Dinklage problem. Dinklage is a genius. Everybody knows it. Um, he never, he can't star in any good movies for some reason. Uh, I hear that Remembrance or whatever it's called is terrible, but anyway, he doesn't pick them when it comes to movie roles, um, but he does pick them when it comes to Game of Thrones, and then, you know, anyway. Um, so, Destiny Taken King comes out. They let Luke Smith direct it, 
and it was phenomenal. It made me fall in love with Destiny in a way I never had before, and I'm still in love with it to that level while the content lasted. Now, the biggest problem with these games is if you're a casual player, that's fine. You enjoy it to a certain extent. But if you're a hardcore, which most Destiny players are, if you're going to play it, you're going to play it hardcore. You know, just like you don't meet a lot of World of Warcraft casuals. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so if you're going to play it, you're going to play it hardcore. And if you're going to play it hardcore, you're going to eat through content. I don't care how hard they make the level cap. I don't care how much they make the grind game tough. And it's a tough balance to get right. No matter what, you're going to burn through that content. It's going to get eaten up like a freaking rust on alloy right i mean just I, I shouldn't try analogies that i don't understand but anyway <laughs> it's gonna get it's gonna get eaten alive like uh, i got it like uh uh what do you call those things that eat bodies um that decompose them maggots on a body yeah there we go there we go or carry on so they burned through the content and i did too i got pretty hardcore when tech k came out i was in california working for a, a video game startup at the time and um or a, a game accessory startup and I just, every night I played four or five hours of, of Taken King. And that was my first time being exposed to the raids. So I got brought through Vault of Glass and Crota's End, really enjoyed those. Man, is it a great experience. Now, I wasn't, I was at that point, people had played them so many times and were so good at them that I was basically being carried through them. I learned what raiding was all about, and I got satisfaction from it. But it wasn't until King's Fall, which was the unique Taken King raid, where you finally kill Cro, uh, Oryx, the Taken King, um, that I understood what Destiny was all about and why people are so obsessed with this game. That is a raid that takes about six hours the first time you do it, and there's these mechanics in a raid. And a six-people raid, so it's not like World of Warcraft where you need 30 perfectly uh, leveled characters. You just need six, and you need to have really good gear. There's a level. It's like the it's end game content. And if you get a fire team where they know what they're doing and you guys work through the content, it's really complex. Like, for example, um, there'll be a monster, and he has a beam of I-beam, and he'll shoot it at you. So you got to have one player on one side getting his attention. They call it getting gaze. I got gaze. And then you have, like, other people that are popping bubbles downside, down in the bottom because it gives you um, uh, uh, weapons of destruction or li weapons of light, something like that, weapons of light. Weapons of light, it's called. And you get it, you go in the Titan bubble, and then you do more damage when you come out. And then you shoot at the weak point but only after you drop these little sacks that are on the roof down. And it's this amazing collaboration dance or ballet of magic. And you get really good at it to the point where you can run the whole thing in a couple hours. But the first time I went through King's Fall, there's this boss at the end. His name is Oryx. I just mentioned him. It is the hardest piece of content I've ever finished in any video game ever. It takes six people not fucking up even once through jumps that you can't miss, through... Uh, you have to have weapons that you've ground for, for forever. Every player has to be in sync. You have to all have headsets. You have to all be communicating. And when we finally took out Oryx at the very end, after you do all of the orchestration, you have to jump back to the middle because right when he's about to die, he pops back up. And then all six members of the fire team go into the middle, pop a bubble, and they all shoot off their guns. So you see this clump of, of guardians in the middle just going blam, 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 blam. And just you just kill him. And then he just, and then he's like body flies back and he spins off into space and he's just gone. And you can watch him flying off into the depths of space for the next four minutes while you get your fat loot. And when that happened, when I had that experience... It's the best experience I've maybe ever had in gaming, period. It's that good. It's it's really hard. It's really frustrating. Getting there, I had more than one person quit and throw their controller down and run off. But if you stick with it, 
there's nothing more satisfying. So that's why Destiny's great. That's why when you hear people talking about it, you it's in these like tones of just I, I it's so great. And grinding is fun, and the quest structure is fun, and the weapons are fun. Anyway, so that's the intro to why Destiny's great. Then it came out. Then finally, I got through all the Taken King content. And once you've done the raid a couple times and got the gear, eventually you're out of stuff to do, and it kind of falls off. Sure. So and like the last year didn't really have much, right? No, Rise of Iron was the last year, and what they and the people that made that weren't the main team. The main team was making Destiny Two, and and Luke Smith, who was so successful at Taken King, got put on as creative director for Destiny Two. And instead, they had their sandbox team do Rise of Iron. Basically, it's got five little dinky missions where you go do this quest that involves SIVA. They did make another raid, which was really short and not... Some people say, excuse me, they like it the best, but really because it was easy to run and, and, and that kind of thing. But generally speaking, a lot of people were done with Destiny 1 at that point. I certainly was. Uh, some people stuck around, but I was waiting for Destiny 2. And Destiny 2 was going to come out that year. Instead, they did Rise of Iron. They pushed it back because development has always been troubled. But Destiny 2 represents, it came out this year, and it represents a fresh start for the franchise. This is the first time that this game is going to know all the pitfalls of making this kind of game. It's got to have PvE, so things like the raid and 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 you know doing missions and a campaign that has to be like good storytelling and, a, and an actual interesting campaign. The first Destiny had shit in it where there was literally a character that rolled up and said, "Quote, I'm sorry, but I don't have time to explain even the things that I don't have time to explain." Like I don't even have time to explain why I don't have time to explain. They actually said that, I remember and that became that, I think. and that became a meme to the point where they made a weapon called No Time to Explain, and they joked about it later. It was ludicrous. And everything in that first game, it was like they they're not like revealing anything. It's like characters and like where's the story beat? Oh, it just never happens. You know, it's that kind of thing. And Taken King was better because they created a bad guy and you go through it, but it still didn't really reveal the universe to you anymore. Well. Destiny 2 was finally their chance to know all these pitfalls of PvE and PvP. So the whole flip side to this is something I almost never play, which is called the Crucible. And the idea of that is that in the lore, there's guardians that fight against each other um, to tune up, to hone their skills, so that when they're going up against the darkness, you're on the side of the light, you go against the darkness, and this is, it's kind of like a, a hollow deck in, uh, in Star Trek, right? Where mm -hmm. you like hone your skills. That's the idea of Crucible anyway. Um, and so I don't really play that, but the idea is that the weapons you earn in PvE or PvP can be used in either. So the tuning of this game is insanity. There's a weapons team, there's a sandbox team, there's all kinds of shit involved in this game that no other game has to have. I mean, they have 300 developers on it or more. They brought in Vicarious Visions for Destiny 2 to like do the rest of it, and then also to work on the PC version, which they're making, which is going to be a whole new thing that comes out in another month from now. And we'll see how that works, because like I said, Bungie... Um, except for Marathon back in the day, hasn't made a PC game. I mean, they made v ports of their games, but generally speaking, they're they're a console developer that works with sticks and auto-aim. So it's mm -hmm. going to be really interesting to see what they do with the PC version. But anyway, Destiny 2 came out, and I was sort of... You have to get back into it to really be into Destiny. Well, I'm there. Um, I At first, I started dipping my toe in and doing the campaign. And the campaign is really fun. Now, the idea is that it got more cinematic, and, the, and what they did was they put in Gaul. Gaul is... So the first game had a lot of different raids that were themed around different – there's different bad guy species in the game. There's the Fallen. There's the Taken. There's the Vex, which are robots. And then there's the Cabal, which are these slug-like enemies. Well, in that, in any of the Destiny 1 stuff, they never really had any, like, focus. So this game is all about the Cabal. The boss is called Gaul. He's a Cabal-like guy that overthrew the Emperor, whose name is Kallus. 
and and he's the guy you have to beat and he basically at the beginning of the game steals the traveler which is this big light globe that was big as a universe yeah, he, like, he f's up the like hangout area right yeah he, destro- he destroys your your tower he breaks all of your um what they call the vaults which is where we store our weapons so that there's a story reason for you to have to start from scratch which they kind of had to do. Um, there's no way once people were at like 400 level and all this light, there was no way that they could really build from there because it would just feel stupid. And there were so many overpowered weapons at that point, they had to go from scratch. So they did. Um, and it's pretty successful. The story is good. It loses its way about halfway through, but it, it does end pretty strong. It's a really, really fun campaign, but especially the production value. This campaign has... Um, gorgeous string instruments going when you finally like when you lose your power at the beginning and you're lost and the screen's flashing red and you hear this I mean it's just gorgeous and the vistas are beautiful in the world see this is also the first time the original Destiny launched on 360 and Xbox One and PS3 and PS4 so it had to have a foot in patent last gen this one they're, it's all next gen, so they now can finally like have much bigger areas. One thing they wanted to do in the first game was have quest givers on the planets, as opposed to having to go to the tower to get your quests. Tower is the social space, and then go to the different universes um, to actually like do the missions. Well, in this one, you can go on on the planet. There's a dude there, and he'll give you the mission right there, and then you go do it. So it's just a much more realized, lived-in world now. Uh-huh. But, I mean, in a way, though, it's just a redo that isn't much bigger. So it has the same number of planets. The planets are a little bigger, but there's four planets. Um, and then there's the tower area, or it's the farm, and then it's the tower. Um, but you anyway, the campaign is good. You do the... You do the um, you go. You lose your power, and then it's a fight to get your power back. You have to earn all of your subclasses back and things like that. Um, and it's fun. I think you would love it, um, the campaign especially. You know, this is the. This, it's the thing I keep coming back to. Um, I just, you know, hearing you say what Destiny is about is the like the the accomplishment of the raid. It's like. I'm just never going to do that. I, I'm not going to get with six people. I don't have six people, and I have zero interest in playing with strangers. And so to know that, like, the best content in the game is something that I'm just never going to experience kills a lot of enthusiasm I have. I mean, I, I, I see what you mean. I see what you mean about that. Um, I'm going to talk about how they fixed that problem greatly in this new one in a minute. Okay. Um, but um, but anyway, so, so the campaign is good. You would really enjoy it. When the game is $30, if you don't get it, at least just to play the campaign, that'll be a crime. Look, I've, um, I've seen people comparing it really happily to, like, saying it gives moments that are as good as stuff in Halo 2 and 3. So, I mean, that alone intrigues me because I love those games. Right. Well, I mean, they're, they're in your top ten, aren't they? Uh, I don't know if they made it. I mean, I made that list a couple years ago, but they'd be in top twenty probably. Yeah, yeah. Le- well, well you're a big Halo, Halo fan. You've always yeah. been a big Halo fan. Let's at least leave it at that. no like franchise wise. Sure. It would be in the top ten. Awesome, awesome. Okay, so anyway, um, once you beat the campaign, then you can do strikes and you can do um public events. So that's another thing. And I'm, and by the way, at some point, I'm going to have another fellow Destiny player come on here as a guest and like really go in depth on some of this stuff and talk about like what makes all this stuff fun and really geek out about it. But for the time being, I just want to give an overview. So there's public events you do where like you just go to the planet, you run around, and then like this stuff will happen. But what's great about this game is in the first game, stuff just happened randomly on the map, but you didn't know about it. So Luke Smith has talked about in this one a lot. He's been very uh, 
uh, you know, forward-facing and vocal. And what he says about this one is we decided we wanted to, quote, unhide the fun. Um, we wanted to make it so, like, you know what's going on so you can find it. So there's the, when you go to the planets, they're much more fleshed out. They have these little underground caverns that are called Lost Sectors, and they're, like, worlds that you can explore in little missions and kill a boss and get some loot. There's these these b big enemies that spawn onto the map, like, every three minutes, and you have to kill them, and then they drop a chest. And then there's these public events that you run. Um, this is all post-story. You can do it during the story, but mainly you should do it after. And then... At that point, you do these public events, and they have a chance of dropping an exotic weapon. So after you finish the campaign, the real draw is the loot. Um, and, you know, the point of it is there's legendary, there's there's common and, 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 and rare junk loot. That's just to be broken down and to buy other shit. But the good loot is legendaries, which are purple, and exotics, which are yellow. So you have four slots on the, uh, three slots in the weapons and four slots in the armor. The three weapon slots are, and they changed this around a lot. It used to be there was a primary, a secondary, and a and a heavy. Now they made it primary energy and power. So and they really and I'm not going to go into all the details of how they did it. They redid it so that so the PvP would make more sense because it used to be that there were shotguns and there were sniper rifles and they were way too powerful and that you could just get ammo for them and just destroy people in the in the crucible. And so because of the fact that they have to be versatile between the two modes, they had to really change the way they did all that. And they did it for the better. It works really well. It's a little awkward, but it works. It was it's a really good change um, in general that that they made. Um, but the, the but the thing about exotics are they can only go in one of the three slots. So you can either have a primary exotic, uh, a uh, energy exotic, or a power exotic. And then beyond that, you can only have legendary or lower. So you have to kind of like, as you get these exotic weapons, they have special awesome things. Like there's a rocket launcher you can get that instead of just shooting one rocket, it shoots out eight little homing rockets. Mm -hmm. And it's super badass. And when you walk over a power ammo pickup, it auto-reloads it. So that's like the special perks on that. Or there's a merciless fusion rifle, which is really high in the meta right now. And it basically, it, fusion rifles have to go to shoot. However, this one, if you hit an enemy but he doesn't die, then it like goes. I'm not doing it well, but it shortens the 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 wind up time each time to the point where you're basically shooting it off like a machine gun, even though it's a power weapon that usually needs to load up like a fusion rifle would. So basically, it's a boss melter. And there's a thing called Cold Heart, which is another. It's like a uh, um, uh, energy weapon that's a boss melter as well. And, and you basically just get these exotic weapons, and they're so fun. And when they drop. It's just the best feeling that you're doing a public event and then other people that are just walk, happen to be walking around will join you. You kill a boss and then there's a special little things you can do to trigger it to make it a heroic public event. And if you do that and win, it's like a 1 out of 20 chance or 1 out of 15 chance that you'll get an exotic drop. And those, they increase your light level, so that's exciting. And they give you these really cool weapons with cool perks. And so you're balancing out your loot, you're loading up your character, it's really fun. But it is very time consuming, so you have to kind of realize that when you're playing Destiny 2, it's going to be at the expense of other games. But anyway, I've been really enjoying it. Um, I, I love leveling up my weapons. I love getting the exotic weapons. Um, but what's really great, and you'll love this, is maybe you won't, but I love it. And that is there's a clan system now. And, and, and at first I was like, how am I going to find a clan? Who am I going to play with? I mean, I had people I played raids with in the last game, but some of them are here. Some of them aren't. They, they all play the game more than I do. So when I come in, I'm kind of like, hey, guys, you know, you've already done the raid four times, but what's up, you know? And what the clan system is, is no matter where you are in the game, you're going to be running around with like-minded players, and then you start, people start inviting you to their thing. So I actually was just doing a public event one day, and this dude named Moochie Main rolls up. 
<laughs> and he's just like he's just like hey you want to be in our clan and i was like yeah why not because you actually get rewards as other clan members win shit or finish the raid or do stuff you get a, a, a special piece of loot also so being in a clan is essential to leveling up and it's also really fun and then and i just thought okay i'll get the rewards that'll be great but then he was like, dude, we're, we're all doing our raid for the first time. You want to do one? And I didn't think I was even ready to start doing that. And I was like, yeah, why not? What do I have to lose? Let's do it. I go in there. These are the nicest five dudes. The Destiny community, I'm telling you, it's amazing. They all know you're new because they're all new. They all know you're new to the raid because they're new to the raid. And we all learned it. And this was actually last night, so it's super fresh. And I finally got through the first three parts of the raid with these guys. We just pounded it. There's this one part that's really hard where there's these howling dogs. And what you have to do is there's there's six of you. So two people have to go up on these towers and get these prism weapons and go where there's these light beams and shoot down at these flowers. And it's like this little bit of a maze environment. And then there's these dogs walking around on set paths everywhere. So the two guys up top have to call out, okay, there's a dog by flower two. Don't go there yet. And they're like, okay, go away. Flower two is ready for you. And then we have to get down, crouch with these little spore things in our hands, walk over to the flower. And then the guy in the top shoots the flower. These spores pop out. You, you gather the spores and they make you powerful. And, if, and you want to get that at least three or four stacks of that so that you can take out these hounds in the damage phase. So then the hounds eventually, like after a certain amount of time, they catch on and they go, oh, and then everybody has to attack the hounds. And, and, and if you have 48 empowered spore stack, then you do tremendous damage. But there's more strategy to it than that. You can't kill any of them on the first round because if you do, the next round's howl goes super fast. So what you want to do in the strategy is kill all of them down to almost dead, but not quite dead. And then in the second round, you go around and you gather the spores again, and then you go in for the kill. It took us three and a half hours to finally coordinate it. And that was probably about 25 run failures. And the 26th time when that thing popped, and it says callus key or callus i think it was engine room key pops up and you know you finished it you should have heard all of our headsets just erupted with cheering i mean i know this sounds intimidating and and yet also awesome but i didn't know these people and yeah i'm very outgoing but even if i weren't there are plenty of people that get on there and that are just like hey guys all right tell me what to do and that's it and it's fine so it's just it's really easy and because of these clans i wasn't even looking for it it came to me and then the raid came to me now they talk about all these different ways they're going to get people to do the raid because only like 20 percent of people did it in the first destiny throughout three years of destiny's launch and they have this thing called guided games and this might even be more perfect for you so what guided games does is clans like my clan once we get more developed and there are some clans who did the whole raid on day one and then are amazing they actually get reputation and rewards for running newer players through the raid and every player yourself me anybody gets tokens every week and you have one token where you get one spot on a raid team that's going to run you through it and they run you through it and they get rewards for doing it so they're totally patient and then if you guys bond they can invite you to their clan if not you just run the raid and then that's it it's so cool. So they have all these different ways to bring people into the most fun part and, quote, unhide the fun. So there's lots of stuff they're doing. Um, at the end of the day, I haven't even played PvP, not even once yet. So, I, I mean, the competitive part I honestly, I always me. forget that's a thing. I know. Well, there are people that are about it. There's a no, thing called sure. Trials of the Nine. Yeah, there's a thing called and Trials of the Nine. And I know a lot of, of quests for things lead you there. Yes, they do. And, and also there's rewards. So I do need to go in and do some of that stuff. 
But man, it is just, I'm right back in the thick of it just like I was before. Um, there are things that, that aren't right. I mean, you know, it's not a perfect game, but it seems like they learned their lesson. And their lesson was, we can't give you everything right up front. So there's things missing from this. Um, there aren't that many exotic weapons. There aren't that many extra quests. There's only one raid. There's only five strikes. There's only, um, you know, certain stuff that you can do so far. You can only level up to 300 and instead of, you know, much, much higher, which eventually it will go. Um, they don't have, like, for, for PvP players, they only have a couple modes so far. They don't have, excuse me, private games where you can create your own game modes. So they just left a lot of stuff out so that they could grow to build to that because they know this is a voracious community. So it seems like they learned those lessons. To me, though, the main point that I want to make about Destiny is I it's so unlike anything else that I see and I read reviews, and I, and I always get so caught up on this. So, like, IGN. They do a review in progress for about two weeks till the raid's done. Then they finally update it. So the the review started at like a nine point, you know, an eight point nine, I think. Like after he'd done the campaign, because the campaign's really excellent. It's got beautiful score and gorgeous vistas and all that, and the Halo references or the or, you know allegories, and and so then um, he 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 got to like eight eight level uh, two seventy and he couldn't climb any higher and he wasn't really enjoying the end game leading up till the raid. So he dropped it to an eight point two. Um, and he's like, yeah, guys, I noticed some things about this game that are driving me crazy. Now it's an 8.2. And then once he played the raid, it went back up to like an 8.8, 8.5, and that's where it stayed at the end, and that's the final review. But to me, this game is so much more vast. It's so incomparable to any other game. I don't know how they could review it. And if they do review it, I don't see how it's anything less than a 10. Not because it's a perfect game. Not because it's a perfect game, but because it's five times any other game. It's so much more vast. So what do you compare it to? If that's an 8.5 and Metal Gear fucking whatever, 5, is, is a 10 or a 9.8, even though Metal Gear is one-fifth as ambitious, one-seventh as ambitious, I mean, I I just don't get, I'm not saying Metal Gear may not be the better overall game to some people, but to me, when you bite off a huge mouthful of something versus a tiny little bite in comparison, I mean, I just don't see how they're even comparable. I don't see how Destiny's an 8.5. Frankly, I don't see how it's even on the scale. It's so different. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I mean, so I it's, guess. it's. I, I think it's a hard game to score at any rate given that its life cycle is going to change it so much. Yes. But I, I get it. For the score of, like, launch, you have to score it something because people are going to buy it now, and is it worth buying at a full price? Uh, I mean, it, it's it's four times or five times the value of any other game in, t- in, in the amount of content that's in it, in the production they had to put into it, in the number of developers they needed to make it. I mean, to me, it's it's worth at least twice what it costs. But anyway. Um, so anyway, that if that gives you an impression, I'm very high on Destiny 2 right now. It's really, really solid. I'm sure it'll have a life cycle like every other game. But they're also really maintaining the fun. Like, they had the raid launch. Then they had Trials of the Nine, which is the which is the top-tier endgame PvP mode. And then next week, they're doing faction rallies. So it's kind of like the Splatfest in, in a Splatoon, where there's these three factions, uh, Dead Orbit, New Monarchy, and a Future War Cult. You pick a faction, and you pledge your support to them. You fight for the whole week or two 
And then at the end of it, you get to buy, if you're on the right side, you get to buy the super powerful weapon for only $100. It's called Glimmer, but 100 Glimmer, whereas everyone else that wasn't on your team has to buy it for 50,000 Glimmer, which is half as much as you can even hold. So it's a ton of Glimmer. So it's sort of this faction rally where you know everybody picks a favorite and you fight for your team. And that's coming up a week after the the, the PVP thing, which is a week after the raid launch. So they're just doing they're, – they're constantly rolling out stuff. Now, I feel like that's eventually going to end. But if they find a way to keep this truck rolling and rolling and rolling through the expansions and on, and they really learn that lesson and keep it awesome, I mean, it, it'll be it'll rival my favorite games of all time for for just sheer perfection of of, of a game. So anyway, it's great. Did you, uh, what is what does this sound like to you now that I told you about clans and guided game? Does that at all make it more appealing, or is it just as intimidating? I mean, look, I'm inherently just I don't like playing with strangers, no matter how much the game. Uh, it's something where I look anything where I have to talk to people that I don't know is just I- extremely stress-inducing in me. So it, it it would be a tough sell. I see. Okay, and, and and all the other stuff isn't enough of an incentive. The campaign and the, the string section and the beautiful graphics and the, I... the great the great way that that shooting feels and all that stuff. Look, I'll be honest. I've gone back and forth. It the campaign is getting good buzz. I mean, how long would you say? I, I, eight hours. Eight hours. That just feels like, I don't know, it it feels, it, it's different because of the way it's set up to, like, how progression works. It's like, with a Halo campaign, even if it's only eight hours, it's like, it's focused to be like, okay, but now I can play it on Legendary. Or well, that's what this it. has, too. This has mul- this has two other classes that you play, which completely change the way the gameplay works. Hmm. And it may not be harder, but it's a whole new run through the campaign. That's true. I don't know. I go back and forth. Like, in some places, I'm like yeah why not go for it on the other hand i'm like maybe not it's tough yeah well i'll tell you man when those exotics drop it's almost as satisfying it's like maybe a third but still much more satisfying than most anything i do in any game when those exotics drop for you and i've had about you know 15 or 16 drop and it's like this bing when it drops and like this flash of yellow on your screen i mean it is like catnip man it is gamer nip (laughs) <laughs> so all righty well hey that was long-winded um and uh even still there's tons more that i haven't talked about the different planets and all that stuff in depth so one of these days i'm gonna get a friend of the show on here and we're gonna talk more about that but in the meantime you're gonna hear me referencing it and giving you little updates every week or two when we talk about games um but at least i got out of me you know my overall thoughts on it i mean to me it's incomparable to score it but like if i had to i mean right now as long as they keep it up like it is now i mean it's a 10 out of 10 game it just is Okay. So, well, I mean, that's alrighty. good to know, I guess. Yeah. Um, okay, man. Well, speaking of games that are getting really good buzz, why don't you lead this conversation? Because we are both playing Metroid Samus Returns, but I am about uh, a fifth or the sixth of the way through it. You're almost done. Yes. So let's hear about it. How is it? Uh, it's everything I could have wanted. Um, I yeah? I don't know what your experience... I mean, I don't know what your experience has been, but... It is, you know, there hasn't been a Metroid game like this in, what do we say, 12, 13 years? There hasn't yeah. been a Metroid game really since uh, 2011. So, it's, it's or 2010. Yeah, no, it's been a while since Samus got a game. Because, uh, you know, not counting Federation Force. Right. Uh, so, this being announced was super exciting. That it was announced. It was a boon. Like, just four months ago is crazy. Not even that. I think less than right. that. Um, right. Real recently at a an, an Nintendo Direct um, that came on right at, or Treehouse Live, actually. No, it was announced at the Direct, but then Treehouse Live, they played it. Or, no, I think it was announced at the Treehouse afterwards. 
I think. But regardless, it wasn't long ago. It was E3. It was right after E3. Yeah. Um, and for me, it was just a case of, like, this was exactly the sort of game I've been waiting for them to release for ages. Yeah. Um, and it looked fantastic. I was excited for it. And, uh, you know, on la- last Friday when it came out, I was there. I was like, all right, let's go. I picked up my copy. I got the two Amiibo that c- uh, sure came out did. for it because Which they're Which I haven't gorgeous. been able to find because they're totally sold out everywhere. Yeah, they're very sold out there. Of course, Amiibos pre-order like crazy. Um, one advantage of living in a smaller town is that <laughs> they come here, but there's not like a huge collector's market for anything. No, people um, aren't into like if they're going to pick up Samus Returns, which is unlikely. They're certainly not buying the thirty dollar Amiibo double pack. Yeah. Now, so I I was able to basically right after midnight just go and I was like, let me look at the stores. Target had them available to be like pick up in store, and they had one <laughs> one set. So I was like, okay, yes, and I did that, and I got them. And mainly, look, I'm not a huge Amiibo collector. Um, I get the ones for characters I like or that look great, and the Metroid Amiibo is. So cool with like the broken uh, containment tube and the squishy head. Is um, it really squishy and really cool? It is, yeah. Um, I want it so bad. I could care less about the Samus one. It's nice, but I could care less. But dude, that that Metroid man. Um, they they give you things that I haven't really bothered with. I didn't like. They give you extra tanks. The big thing, the one thing the Metroid does that is nice is it will. Uh, basically, if you go back. Uh, so, so the way the game works, uh, just really quick before we get too into it, is um, you're, you're hunting Metroids. And so each area will have a place where you have to insert Metroid DNA to continue. And if you go to that thing, it will tell you where the nearest Metroid is. And right. having the Metroid Amiibo just lets you, if you tap that Amiibo to the screen, it'll basically let you do that anywhere. As opposed to having to go Ooh, all the way back to that thing. Ooh, that's cool. Um, it's not a big, big deal just because... Metroid in general is a game where it's pretty easy to go, oh, I haven't been there, let me go explore there. Yes, 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 but but really I've found that going back to that place and, and doing that is very essential because there are times when there's a room and I just can't figure out how to break through to like the next little area. And like this tells me, dude, you're supposed to be able to break through. So I know to focus there and I really pound it and get through it. Um. The biggest thing I would say is that what this does is it gives us a 2D Metroidvania game, and it's a it's a damn good one. Um, yeah, it's a very good looking game. I mean, yeah, it looks a little jagged. It's 3DS, so I mean, it's not super high definition. Um, but it's a really exciting thing just to have. It it actually looks really good. I think I think Samus looks good. Um. The environments look great. The music is is solid, but overall, it's just really fun. The biggest change, I think, from something like Super Metroid or even uh, Zero Mission or Fusion is it's actually it's more in line with Fusion, where it's a very linear um, experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not like Super Metroid, where you'll see your first area will have a bunch of doors and a bunch of things that you can explore in different directions. Now, in this one, it's like you're going to Area 1 and you have to find the Metroids in Area 1 and then you have to drain the Chozo fluid or whatever it is. So uh, is that, that that mechanic and that thing stays through it the entire time? Yes. Okay. The biggest uh, open comes in that you can explore the areas a little bit openly, but, you know, you're looking for the power-ups, but it's not like you ever have to go back to Area 1 to attack a Metroid you couldn't get to originally. Got it. But but you can go back and get... Now, are there power-ups that you can't collect till later? Uh, the power-ups pretty much come in a set order. What you find if you backtrack is going to be 
extra missile tanks, extra super missile tanks, extra power bomb tanks, uh, things to increase your Aeon ga- gauge, and energy tanks. You know, the standard power-ups. Hmm. Okay. Um, but it does a good job of making each area, area feel unique. It actually does a good job of having a few areas that you do need to backtrack to and feel pretty big in terms of finding extra collectibles. Like, early on, you'll run into um, lava rooms that you can't go into, and you definitely can't go into the lava, so you'll have to come back later once you have that if you want those power-ups. But yeah, I mean, on the most part, it's like, you're going back for missile upgrades. You're not going back for the, you know, speed booster or anything. Interesting. But there are things you straight up can't get till later. Yes. Like the the, the the missile launch and stuff. One thing I've got to mention that I just – I almost made a huge mistake today. So I have the Zero Suit Samus. I, I found it used about a year ago at GameStop, and I picked it up for like three or four bucks. And so do you know what that one does? Uh, it's either energy or missile maybe? I forget. It's energy, dude. And do you know what that means? Uh, when you get – hit you get like 100 health back or when you die you... no it's way worse when you die it, it let's say you have like five energy tanks plus 100 when you die it refills the entire load oh wow it totally brings you back to 100 health and full pat tanks i so here's what happened i dodged a bullet today man so i took it out and i was like before this podcast i'm gonna try this amiibo out just to see what it does i thought it would give me like one extra bar just a little boost to my health, like, you know, make it a little easier. Because those bars drain real fast when a Metroid hits you. So it's not like that would be that much of a boon. So I turn it on. I put it on my 3DS. When I hit it, it, it says, now, just to let you know, once you do this, you can't undo it. So the only way to redo it would be to start the whole game over. So make sure you want to do this and get this extra energy tank. I was like, sure, why not? Of course I want a little extra energy tank, right? I did it, and then I realized what it did, and I, like, let myself die, and my all three of my tanks and the hundred went back up. And I was like, oh, fuck. I just made this game boring. I just ruined the game. I mean, how ruining would that I mean, be? Uh, having essentially double health? Yeah, pretty yeah. pretty ruinous. I mean, that would just – I mean, there's no point. There's no challenge. Um, there'd be no reason to go look for energy tanks, and if you don't look for energy tanks, you're not doing any of the searching. Well, I mean, no, would just... there would be reason. I mean, you'd have to at least find some of them, because even with double health, some of the enemies do, like, hit you for over 100. Okay. All right. Well, still. Still, it would, though. It would, yeah. It would nerf the game tremendously. So, anyway, thank God it doesn't directly, immediately affect, like, the like the, the hardcore, like like, internal settings, because I hadn't saved yet. So I just turned off my 3DS and turned it back on, and thank God it didn't lock it in. Well, that's so it's good. Gone. Yeah, no, the Aeon tank that you get is way le- like it basically just refills a quarter of it when you run that out. That is so weird. Yeah. Why is it so ridiculously overpowered? The Zero Suit Samus. I have no idea. That is, I mean, may- maybe maybe it only fills up three, and I just because I only had three. Possibly. No. How I- many? How many do you get eventually? I mean, you end up with, I think, ten energy tanks. Three would so may- potentially be not too crazy, but I wouldn't I wouldn't know for certain that early in the game. Yeah, that's true. That's interesting, though. Um, I Okay, let me see what I can find out here. But anyway, keep talking about the game. I'm sorry. Uh, but what it does really well... Now, does it have a few things where the enemy variety is a little low? Yeah. Um, which I don't mind too much, because I think what it does really well is makes combat feel dynamic 
Um, and what I mean by that is that when you're going through, it has this new mechanic where the enemies are much more aggressive and will charge Samus. Uh, and so you have a button that is dedicated countering, and it's actually it's a, it's, it's a very easy. I think it's the top button. I think is X on a Nintendo controller. Right. You press that, and if you time it right, you'll counter, and then you can one shot the enemy. Um, and you know, I'll, which I'll, is cool. Which is it's, it's essential. It is um, because they take yeah. a lot of hits. They take otherwise. a lot more hits in this one, and it is until you get certain things that allow you a lot more damage or freedom to attack from different angles. It is um, essential to be to be blocking. Uh, but I think it's very fluid. It's a very easy counter to use, and I think it keeps each encounter uh, exciting. It gives you Aeon, which powers the four new abilities in the game that you get as time goes on. So and, what are those? The first one I've gotten, which is the thing where y- you you scan the whole area to find out what's around. Yes. What else do you get? Uh, the biggest thing you get is the time slowing. Is that one of them? Uh, you get that. Yeah. The last one you get is time slowing, which is called phase drift. You get a burst beam, which is basically like a Gatling gun fire mode. And you get uh, an, a lightning shield that will absorb damage for you and la- allow you to basically have a little extra protection. Do you use any of them much? Uh, you use... The most that you use, like, naturally is going to be um, probably the lightning shield just because it's helpful for, for Metroid fights. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, because they do really fuck you up. I was just playing, like, my. I'm on the sixth Metroid battle, um, and they've all been the exact same fucking Metroid, by the way, speaking of repetition. Um, they shoot, like, a different element at you, but, like, they're the same fight, the same thing, the same mechanic, the same swooping under you, and you jump over it. I mean, identical, man. Well, um, the, the biggest change is going to be the environment and the, the setup of the floors. Yeah, the, the first Metroid you encounter is the simplest. Uh, it is definitely the one that is the least challenging to fight. There are a total of, uh, f- I want to say, five types of Metroids. Okay. Um, you fight, you fight uh, one of them only three times and one of them... Uh, tw- once, which is like the Metroid Queen, which right, not a huge shock. I mean, this is a game that is, the entire plot of is spoiled in the beginning of Super Metroid. So, uh, right. But but yeah, no, the later fights are more challenging. The environments do a good job of varying it, and uh, I don't know. I found them to be pretty solid fights. Uh, w- without have fe- uh, yeah, they're a little repetitive, but not too bad. And then there's a few other boss enemies that w- that I won't give away that that vary things a little a good way too. And and are they fun? The yeah, the boss fights—they're fun. The extra bosses, I mean. Yeah, yeah, the ones definitely. that you're talking about. Those those other ones. Okay, cool. Um, That's cool. I don't know. I've just found it to be a very fun game to pick up, play a lot of the first day, and then over the past week, I've been working a lot. But I'll pick it up while doing something else. Play like twenty minutes, put it down, and then maybe like thirty to forty minutes to an hour later, I'll pick it right back up and and play some more. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me my my experience. I'm not nearly as far as you. I'm a big Metroidvania fan from way back. Um, I love the Castlevania games. I love you know uh, a lot of the a lot of the Metroid games. I love you know even other M. 
Um, Shadow Complex, one of my favorite games of all time, which, you know, took the Metroidvania and added, like, a machine gun, basically. <laughs> um, and, uh, I mean, there's a lot of great games in the genre now. Um, a lot of, co- I mean, a lot of companies have made really good ones. Um, everything from um, Ori and the Blind Forest to, I mean, you name it, uh, yeah, uh, Axiom Verge. I mean, there's so many good ones. But um, I'm really ready to play another one. Well, I got this game, and partially I'm, I'm like a lot on Destiny 2, so that's a little bit distracting me. But I dove into it. For, I've played about four, four hours. So it's got to be a long game because I'm only six Metroids in, and I've played about three, maybe three, four hours of it. So, I mean, granted, I was really trying to explore everything and see everything I can see around and really, like, explore the environments, which I'm learning is probably something that I don't have to do as much as I've been doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it it's good. Um, I don't love it, though. Um, I have been playing with the 3D on mostly because it's really kind of cool. And it, See, now that we both have Nintendo new 3DSs, like, the 3D is ten times better because of the fact that it, uh, it face tracks, so it's not, like, always fucked up. Um, and it's cool. I mean, it's going in these, like, you know, uh, cavernous areas and being able to look into the back. Like, right now I'm looking at it, and there's, like, these little, like, moths flying in the background, like, in, in like three cavern levels back. Like, it's pretty cool. Have you done any of that? Uh, no, I've mainly played with the 3D off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, that's generally the, the consensus. And this is at least a 20-hour game. So it, playing I, I'll be on. honest. I was stunned to see a game that actually used it at this point. It's... I, a, a big game, yeah. Things like like even Pokemon like only used it for the photo mode, which was crazy. Yeah. Um. But anyway, so this, I mean, it's it's fun. I don't love it though. It may like really grab me more like as I play it. Right now, I just feel like it's not. It, it's like it's good, but I don't love it. I don't know. It's hard to explain. Like, I feel like it's a little bit... I played a lot of the Metroid 2D games, and I just feel like the, the they control a little better. This just feels a little bit... It, it almost feels similar to, like, Mirror of Fate did. Uh, not, not to be biased against this developer who also made that game. But there's just something a little bit like the, the character's, like, a little stick-like and a little bit... I don't know. The flow isn't that great, and the shooting isn't as feel as good as I wanted to. It's not bad, and I think I'm going to really get into it as we go. Like, another example. I don't know why it is, but I feel like going down into a ball mode, having to double click down just like feels clunky. I know you can touch the screen and it, and it brings you into the mode immediately, but for some reason I'm just not I'm not in love with the game yet. I mean, that's now, that's 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 Metroid. You have to do that in Super Metroid. Double down? Yeah. Cuz you okay. can crouch and then you go into ball mode. I think it has to do with the uh I think it has to do with the the analog stick being the difference there. Um, you know, cause it's not like a tap, tap. It's like a down, up, down, you know, mm-hmm. um, with an analog stick. So I don't know. I mean, I, maybe it's just that I forget what they feel like. Um, and that's possible, but I like it a lot and I definitely am going to play the whole thing. But right now I'm just feeling like it's a little, not, not quite as, as punchy and, and the, and the mechanics don't feel quite as solid as I'd hope they did. And then also those, those Metroid fights, the first six that you do are identical pretty much. Now, granted, I understand that changes a lot, right? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a few more varieties. Um, I don't know. For me, I just I've I've found it to be very engrossing. And this is coming off. I wasn't really going to mention it, but I did purchase Super Metroid for the Virtual Console a few weeks ago because I was excited for this one. Uh-huh. Um, and coming right off of that, I think it's perfectly, you know, it feels just like it. Maybe not just like it, but as close as it needs to. That I've I've found it to be one of my favorite games of the year. Oh wow! Awesome. 
Awesome. Well, I need to have a lot more to play. Um, I, w- I hesitated when I was thinking about doing this episode. I hesitated to even start going in this slightly negative direction because I've played not enough of it. I'm at 6.7% completed. So that's like really not enough to have seen the variety. And it is a game that I've heard criticized on lack of variety. So if I've only seen a fifth of what's already not that varied, like that's a big problem. You know, sure. and so I need to go much deeper into this game to at least see like where it's going. I also only have two abilities. I have the the, the regular gun that can charge, um, obviously the morph ball because that's essential, and then the ice beam. Um, one thing that I have to say, maybe to its favor, but so far it's been a little tricky. Um, the puzzling. So I thought at first when I played, actually, now this is definitely a positive thing. I thought when I started playing it. Um, you know, that I would really be bummed out by the fact that you can hit the A button and basically find out where all the hidden walls are just that easily, and that it just shows you your map, like, that quickly. Were you worried at first that was going to be a problem? Um, I've seen that complaint. I just tried not to use that. <laughs> oh, you didn't even use it? Not really. The only I'm using it now when I'm backtracking just to try in 100% places, but other than that, I'm not. I, I, I just kind of just played to play. Oh, interesting. Cool. Well, that's good. But anyway, I find that it doesn't ruin it um, because actually it's still really hard to figure out where you have to go. So they do some really interesting things, and I've only got one one major power-up, which is the ice beam. Um, and with that with that power-up, like you have to very often, at least where I am in the game, shoot monsters and freeze them with the, with the loaded, with the charged beam so that you can jump off of them and reach higher platforms. Mm-hmm. Is that big in the game, or is that is it just the part I'm at? Really just the part that you're at. So, like, the ice beam... The ice beam's useful because it hurts Metroids. You Um, mean just on its own? Just regular? Yeah, because they're weak to ice. You can shoot them with it if you run out of missiles, which is really not as much of a concern as you get later in the game and get more upgrades. But, uh, yeah, once you get the space jump, you don't really ever have to make platforms again. Oh, got it. There's a sp- it was a double jump. Is that what it is? Yeah. Nice. Well, well, it's the one where you can infinitely jump if you time it. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's good. That'll be nice. Um, and you can already wall jump where I'm at, um, which is cool. Yes. Um, but um, but anyway, so I mean, it's a game I plan to enjoy a lot more. I mean, I'm expecting to enjoy a lot more than I am right now. I'm just like getting into it and. I don't know, it's probably I haven't played a Metroid 2D game in a while and it's feeling a little clunky to me, so I have every expectation that I'm going to love it. So far I'm just only liking it, right. but um, I have a feeling I'm going to I have a feeling I'm going to no, like I think it that's an understandable response. Yeah. Cool, man. Um any other thoughts on the game you wanted to mention before we uh sign off? No, I just I think for me it is one of the I mean, it's certainly I'm it makes me happy that the 3DS hasn't been abandoned yet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It may not be it may not be because they are um, doing – sorry, my computer was popping up with Lowe's bullshit. Um, they are um, they are doing interesting things. Like, for example, the 2DS just came out, and they just released a new version of the uh, – the old. The, excuse me, the 2DS XL just came out. And they just released a new version of the 2DS, and there's going to be a new, a new 2DS XL with, uh, like, the Pokeball version. So they're still doing it, and there's a lot of games announced, like uh, well, at least one big one that I know about, or two big ones that I'm really excited for. Um, the first is obviously the new Pokemon Ultra Sun, Ultra Moon, which I'm going to play. Of course. And then, the, and then the second one that I'm even more excited about, eh, maybe the same at this point because I loved Sun and Moon, but um, Superstar Saga. So that's my favorite Mario and Luigi game, and 
the RPG series, and it's getting redone. I mean, I love that game. And they're, they're doing a new version, and there's going to be a bad guy mode as well. I mean, I just can't wait. Um, and that's actually next month early. So that's like what I'm going to be playing next. This answer is that. It's going to be that. Obviously, a lot more Metroid and a lot more um, Destiny. But, man, Superstar Saga, you got to get that. Are you going to get that one? That one? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely. I, I loved the game the first time around, so. Oh, I didn't know you played that one. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, cool. I mean, Fawful is a great enemy, and the levels are really fun. And I mean, I just love that game. So, great. Cool, cool, cool. Um, what else we got? Um, what are you going to be playing coming up? Uh, I'm going to be playing... I'm going to be finishing Samus Returns. Uh, like I mentioned, probably trying out uh, Ghost Recon Wildlands. Right. And beyond that... Um, nothing immediately springs to mind. Um, I, I guess right now I'm just kind of, I'll probably get back to something like Kingdom Hearts or, oh yeah, uh, finally get back to Yakuza 0. Um, but those would be the big things. Nice. Alrighty. What about you? Um, yeah, well that, I mean, obviously Destiny 2, obviously finishing Metroid. Um, I have so many games. I just picked up, uh, Automata because they had it at Best Buy for, uh, real cheap they had it for like 35 dollars and then i have gamers club so that's like 27 dollars or no they had it for 25 dollars and i got it i don't remember something i think i paid 27.99 for it out the door for okay. automata that's awesome um so i'm pumped about that but i mean again i have so many things to play i shouldn't even have picked it up but it was just too cheap to pass i really want to play the surge i mean i could just go on neo i mean ps4 is just a uh, treasure trove but really the other thing that's been tugging at me is and i didn't get a chance to talk about it on this one because i haven't really played it enough yet um but is yakuza kiwami um i picked that up finally and i was really excited to get it but then all these other games came out and i haven't had a chance to play it much so that's probably it so i'd say kingdom hearts kiwami metroid returns destiny 2 and, and the list goes on nice awesome well hey man um good catching up on some games uh, we had a lot to talk about um, and we'll have to uh, we'll regroup and uh, and give some some updated thoughts on some of this stuff and some new stuff. By the time we do the next episode, we'll probably are you going to pick up Superstar Saga when it first comes out? Maybe not right away. Okay, all right. Well, maybe we'll have it to talk about. Maybe we won't. Otherwise, we'll catch up on some of this stuff. Um, where can they find us? You can find us, of course, at thejoyofgaming.com, which is our episode archive. You can find thejoyofgeek.net for written content, uh, including since I'm no longer on the main line podcast, I, every once in a while, whenever there's a topic that rich and kevin do i'll be doing a third host segment where i just give my own opinions on it awesome uh you can find me on twitter at indigo master e-n-d-i-g-o-m-a-s-t-e-r for writing and whatnot or jordanelsaker.tumblr.com which still needs more work or facebook.com slash jordanelsaker writer uh you can find the joy of gaming on facebook at the joy of geek the joy of gaming or at the joy of game on twitter wow you gotten good at that man you used to hate that shit but you've gotten good <laughs> Um, anyway, you can find me at Rich Lapore on uh, at RT Lapore, excuse me, on uh, Twitter and uh, all the places Jordan just mentioned. Um, on that note, I am Rich Lapore. Jordan Alseka. We'll see you soon. <laughs>